Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zaps to the Past, we would just like to give a massive shout out to the following people Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Joshua Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Vettingfeld, Neil Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Steve Perrant, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Dennis Brakehouse, AL82Retro, Liam Carew, Dylan Darch, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, Lee Sparkles, Dan Wales, Gary Brownsource Wilson, and Oscar Jacobson. These amazing people have backed our Patreon at the C64 tier, and the support they offer is just awesome. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout-out, access to our Discord server, early access to ad-free episodes, along with any special releases we put out, and anything else we can think of, and the ability to ask us questions for our Ask the Podcast episodes, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zap to the past a little more than the price of a pint of beer it helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to Welcome to episode 104 of Zaps to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week we start our look at November 1988 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 43 of Zap 64 along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. Graham, there are games to behold. So what sparkles in this week's episode? In this mighty collection of egg-shaped chocolates on the eggiest day in the egg calendar, we once again climb into our Terran warship and kick some Hesiphian ass as we blast our way through the stunning C-64 shoot-up sequel to Delta, Armalite. We also explore the robot, futuristic, netball, bowling, isometric, lump-strewn world of Vectorball, it's as crazy as it sounds, drive our all-terrain pickup trucks across the brown roads and paths of Brownville looking for Crom and his mountain in the utterly brown 4x4 off-road racing and navigate the vague instructional nuances of a skimmer and drone-led rescue mission in the clever intensity. Did you eat a whole egg on egg day? Was it chocolate? Or, like mine, was it an ostrich egg? We also take to the deep depths of the ocean and command some fancy nuclear submarines through war and very choppy political waters in the intense Red Storm Rising. Examine the complexity of what shoot planes with ship might reveal in the gameless battle stations. Play yet another game of two halves as we kick our way through another rung on the soccer game evolutionary ladder with Super Cup football before finally checking our cunning is at maximum and then running and leaping around the convivial countryside while also machine gunning some beagles in the jaunty Fox Fights Back. It is certainly true that when top coders put their minds to it, some incredible games emerge. Sadly, when they don't, a small brown egg appears. And that ain't chocolate. Shiny. 
Always shiny. There's some sparkles there, some sparkles, and there's also some lumps of bloody coal. Yes, there's always that. That's the way. This is the way. <laughs> it is the way. Before we get into them, though, um, as ever, it's, it's a new month. It's a new dawn. It's a new day and everything like that. Well, let's look at the cover. Should we look at the cover? For issue 43, I think that's uh, a, that would be a good thing to do. It would be. This is now the best-selling Commodore mag in Britain, it says. Ooh. And it's all now C64 Amiga, Zap 60, C60. Should I start calling mm. that? We're using the magazine Zap 64 Amiga, maybe. No. No, no let's not. Zap let's 64. not do that. It's, it's a silly it's, thing. That's what it's known. Most people know it as that. It is. Um, which have now put £1.50 with cassette. So they have a Mega Tape 2 here another on one. this one. Another one. Playable demos of Cybernoid 2 and Hawkeye. Oh, okay. Very nice. Yes. Um, they did actually make it onto that tape as well. Well, yeah, those, those games actually got released on, like, Catechist, which was <laughs> yeah. last, yes. like, you know, Tears the in tears Rain. Tears in the Rain, yes. Yeah. Yes, they did. But, yeah, it's on, and I've checked, and it was them on there. Was. It was. It was. <laughs> it was mm. them on there, not disguised as something else. Not disguised as a time-travelling gnome with a baguette. No, no, strange choice of replacement that was, but no, it's not that. No, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got your Cybernoid 2 demo. And the old Hawkeye as well. Mm. And the cover itself is a a triumvirate of uh, spaceships. Yes, it's the sci-fi, you know, classic sci-fi. Why are they always flying in that direction on the cover? I guess it's because the zap's in the top left, so you've got to sort of make space in the middle, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, you've only got that. You've only got that because now, obviously, that cover tape's down there, isn't it? So we've got the hot blast of a a nuclear explosion that you all seem to be flying out of. And then I think you've got the ships from Cybernoid 2, Armalite, and Star Ray, which we won't be looking at because that's an Amiga game. Yeah, I'm guessing so. I mean, it's got a nice classic sci-fi vibe, hasn't it? You know, they, that, that kind of vibe that they used for that um, recent sci-fi game, you know, the, the big one that came out on the big consoles, the open universe one. Oh, uh, No Man's Sky. No Man's Skies. That had that kind of vibe, and that's the vibe they were going for, that, that kind of... The tone of the, the colours aren't quite right, but that, that tonality with the big long streaks of plasma jet coming out the back and mm. all that kind of thing. Very sci-fi you know, books. Yeah, yeah. It looks like those sci-fi novellas that you used to see. It's very... Well, I didn't because um... I wasn't born then, but in that time when people <laughs> saw stuff like that. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, um, it reminds me, it puts me in the mind of like, and I know Oliver Frey did them, like Dan Dare comics. It's that kind of those spaceships. Yeah, you... very much so. Yeah, actually, that's a really good shout, yeah. The colours and everything and the style. Yeah. Well, because obviously he drew them, didn't he? He drew a lot of he drew he drew for Dan yeah. Deer, so so I can see why. Yeah, you can actually, yeah, totally see that now you said it, yeah. 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 So supposedly there are over 50 games reviewed, not all. Uh, unfortunately, there's only 16 new ones for the C64 at this point. Yeah, doesn't it? So it says 32-page Amiga specials just under that. You're like, oh, mostly yeah. Amiga then, I'm guessing. Yeah. And over £2,500 worth of prizes that didn't come in a brown envelope from Gremlin, I'm guessing. No, no, that was actually, they gave away uh, two and a half thousand oranges. They were just, they cost a pound each. So. <laughs> a pound each for oranges. Pound yeah, they've got oranges. <laughs> pound a pound an orange. £2,500 worth of prizes. What is it? You get an orange. Oh, I thought it'd be better. Well, we just, <laughs> you know, we said the total, it was the total prize fund was £2,500. Didn't we need to imply that you was going to win anything over over a pound? No, sorry. That's did you true. get Did you get that from that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how did you get that from that? Do you, you mean you made that from that? That's a bit of an assumption. Here, have an orange. Yeah, and we could also meet <laughs> Chuck Vomit, who's the new guy doing the. To. No, it's the new. It's the trolley or whatever it is they've got now doing the adventure games after the Harley oh, Quinn has right. left left the building. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's a good cover. It's a nice sci-fi cover, like you said, Dan Dare, but it's yeah. uh, but three games, three big games, and there you I go. I don't like the way they've described I don't like the subtitles. Cybernoid 2 puts hairs on your chest. No. Armalite goes for the jugular. I'm like, mm, don't copywriters. Yeah, the the staff change at Zap at this point is complete. 
so it's a completely new crew in Gordon Howe and I can't remember, but Katie, what's face and Paul Blancy. This is it's none of the original yeah. and they're all gone. And yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a tone. There is a tonal shift change at this point in Zap. That yeah, I remember reading back at the time the new writers, they're going for a much more, I mean, look, I mean, under it says one pound 50 with cassette and then underneath it says what only 25 P more love a duck governor. There's much more of that kind of. Yeah. I've noticed it creeping into the comment box. They put, they're putting little weird notes in each other's comment boxes. And if you read the reviews as well, the actual main mm. chunk of body of the reviews, they're all, they're, they're often done now in a very odd style. Whereas before yeah, they were they quite like factual. This is the game. This is now yes. it's all, it's all weird stuff. Absolutely. So. In fact, I, I'll be calling one of them out for that actually, as we go through the reviews, because there's oh, okay. a particular, particular review, which I think suffers from that in a very extreme way yeah and i think that's a there's lots of yeah they're, they're really ramping up the sort of cult of personality at this point yes they um, are. Which, which i think are, they yeah. used to do but i think that you know rignall and pen and all that kind of was kind of earned because they created this and i'm not yeah. i was always yeah. quite and i don't know I'm not, I'm not being down on it but looking at it back now from now to then and i remember feeling at the time like i don't know these people I yeah I, i've not yeah. got used to them because the cult yeah. of personality thing grew over quite a few issues with Rignall and Penn and Lydon and all that sort of thing. It kind of came mm. through over time and you got to know them through the magazines. This is like straight Good. in. Hey, we're wacky. Yeah, wacky, crazy. Hey. I don't do wacky. No, it's like taking um, you know, Phil Schofield and, and what, what not off a TV show and replacing them. You know, when, they, you know, when they did that, the BBC did it, didn't they? Oh, with Andy Crane. Yeah, just not necessarily just Andy Crane, but you know, it's like what that effect is what I'm saying. Not, you know, but they replaced yeah. them, but that effect where they somebody you've sort of got familiar with then it's suddenly different and it's they're trying to sort of establish their own way and do it their own way and it sort of it totally isolates a lot of the audience who were kind of there from the start yeah so. i think so as well yeah but yeah. anyway we'll see that as we go through the magazines i guess from here on out you'll, you'll get a bit changed and we're know. gonna we're gonna see things times they are a changing they certainly they are, are right should, should we get into some games we've got some games yeah to we've cover. got quite a few we? yeah we should a total of eight so let's get into eight. our first one And our first one is a gold medal. It is Armalite. Armalite. It is £9.99. It got 97%. Mm. This is the first gold medal we've seen in a while, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was thinking that. Was the last Um, one... Did Guyana sisters get one? Good question. I can't remember off the top of my head. Somebody could check that, but But no time. We're just going to assume it might have done. It's been a while. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 50% sure that it was 90% but I'm only 60% sure of that. Yeah, first while I've seen in a while, it comes courtesy of Thalamus. I'm not saying anything at all about that. No, sorry. This is Armalite, yet whopping 97%. There's a lot to talk about here. Okay, this this review. So strap in, as this may take a while. Getting the credits out of the way first, this was produced for Thalamus by Cyberdyne Systems. Okay, so straight out of Terminator. Cyberdyne? Yeah. Uh, okay. They're a trustworthy source of robotics anyway. I'm pretty sure it is, unless I've like got all no, Terminator. No, no. I have no reason to doubt you. <laughs> yeah, Cyberdyne Systems. So Cyberdyne Systems put this together. This was coded by Dan Phillips and John Kemp. Graphics by Robin Levy and music and sounds by Martin Walker. This is pretty much the team that did, uh, a lot of the team that did uh, Hunter's Moon, that will do Citadel. Yeah. Um, they're going to do Citadel, they'll work on Last Ninja 3. This is a talented bunch of, of people. 
Let's not, yeah. So let's just get that out. The story, though, is thus. This is straight out the um, the manual. So, you know, strap in. 200 years ago, war broke out between the Hasifian Khanate and the Terran Empire after it was proven the Hasifians were responsible for acts of piracy in the region of space known as Delta. Earth finally won after 50 years of conflict. Things were in a mess, but out of the ashes, Armalite Industries emerged and seized power. In the years that followed, the Delta incident was forgotten, although the re-established trade route steered well clear of Delta space. Five years ago, a patrol in Delta space stumbled into what appeared to be an abandoned Hasifian research outpost. I thought they steered well clear of Delta space. Let's not pick this apart. Don't, don't dwell too much in there. <laughs> Armalite Industries established a research base on the ruins of the old Hasifian outpost, where a- Armalite Industries scientists were accompanied by a token force of light armour, because Hasifian resistance was low. Four months ago, Armalite Industries they switch in here because sometimes they call them AI scientists, which I presume is Armalite Industries, but it might actually be AI scientists. How do I know? Received a message that the scientists were on the verge of a massive breakthrough, but shortly afterwards, all contact was lost with the outpost. Communications haven't been re-established since and no patrol can get near the place. This suggests the outpost has been overrun by invading forces. According to transmissions received just before the loss of contact, the Hasifians had made a similar breakthrough to that of AI's scientists. I don't know. Is that Amalite Industries scientists? They had discovered a power source of near infinite potential, but they weren't ready to tap the source. Amalite Industries have decided to hire independent fighting forces to disguise their military involvement, for such risky manoeuvres would surely alert their clients around the galaxy and seriously damage their business reputation. Your mission is to enter Delta Space and reclaim the outpost. According to intelligence, much of the surrounding area of space is under Hasifian control. Be careful out there. The Hasifians utilising the resources at the base have an almost limitless supply of ships and firepower far more advanced than we know. To counter this, we can equip you with state-of-the-art weaponry and the very latest in military transport. We will be on hand to ferry replacement craft, although your ships are expensive and supply is short. So you watch that. They're bloody expensive. You know how much they cost? I see them things. <laughs> to get the ship into Delta space, it has to be stripped of all heavy weaponry. But throughout the deep space battlefield, there are munitions pods crystal-like formations in space to collect. These provide the ship with a massive energy surge, activating the inner built shield, rendering you invulnerable for a while. Continually shooting the crystal-like munitions pod provides the ship with weaponry. The more shots the pod takes, the better the weapon received. There you go. So that's it. In two-player mode, additional pods appear, and yada, yada, there you go. So it's, um, it's a tale as old as time. The Hasifians and the Amalite Industries up against each other. Delta space yeah. being what it is. It's, uh, it's, all, it's all about, you know, shooting stuff. What this means is what we have another is what we have is another left to right horizontal shooter on our hands. And with Salamander and Catechus impressing us, does this cut the muster? Is that gold medal earned? Okay, from the get-go, this oozes some serious presentation chops. Upon loading this, you get three options on the disc version. Just before you get to the game, you get to play around with some options. These are either play the game, have a look at the very well-drawn loading image and listen to the loading music, which I presume would have been on the tape version. I'm guessing that's from the tape version. Were those options that you're speaking of, were they on the original one? Because I'm not sure if they've been added to the version we played. Maybe. I'm just talking... It looked like they were... I don't know. I mean, because I think way, so. I think so, because it does say... I think in the review, I did read something about, because you could listen to the tunes by Martin Walker. Yeah, yeah. There's the competition edition, which I'll come to later as well. But anyway, the version we've played, you can look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a really nice loading screen, and there is some really nice music with it. No doubt about that. Some really nice other tunes by Martin Walker that weirdly as well also display the interrupt time needed for each tune. Yeah, Yeah, low cycle count. Very, very good. That big. Yeah, yeah, it's low, very low. 
I know, smart stuff. But of course, you can also select the main game, and once in, the level of quality continues. We even get a countdown for the loading of the game level, which is perhaps the first time we've seen that in a game. I don't think we've seen like you know, like a loading I think bar. Definitely, no, I think definitely the first time. And what a great thing, unless they did it on tape or something. But that's the first time I've seen it. Yeah, so it counts down from about 120. And then you see, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I, mean, I couldn't remember if the old Novaloads did that or some of those Novaloads, but I genuinely couldn't remember, and I didn't have any to test it on. So maybe somebody could say, maybe. I don't know. I think the Novelos did it for the bit where it went. I just, I, I just seem to remember them, but that was when we, as all we played all these games through since the beginning of this podcast. That's the first one I've, I've noted and made a mental like, wow, a countdown. How useful is that? Yeah, absolutely. You're not <laughs> so, that waiting like you will do for one other game this week. Yeah. So yeah, the level of quality continues as the title screen goes full on multiplexer with information about the game, a great piece of music, and up to 26 sprites orbiting around in various configurations. It's like these balls sort of moving around these arcs. It's all so, good. Sometimes it's, there's loads of different versions of this as well. Sometimes it's two chains of 13, other times it's eight groups of three, four groups of six, six groups of four, or even just a constant chain of orbs. Like all random and they change color all as well random colors as well so it's it's very nice this is looking really cool it's clear this is aiming to impress in every respect you can choose from one or two players by moving left or right on the joystick another nice thing we saw that in was that hunter's moon we saw that in yes uh, it's, it's similar again so again we're seeing that you know these people are talking to each other and coding together and coming up with these ideas and things to put in so you can see that with it. or you can press f1 to do it you can change the star field in game with f3 that's nice you can get a stationary star field which is don't use that was rubbish which is really odd i don't why you would even have that it's just, weird it's just we're just just static dots in the background but okay maybe it, it some people don't like the movement or something so it's a accessibility thing or maybe you can have one layer moving or two layers moving so it's nice okay you can even watch a flyby demo of the opening level by pressing f7 it goes through the whole entire level to get an idea of what is to come a stab of the fire button takes it into the game and uh, and i'll be honest here at, at first it it feels a little lifeless. It's a little dull. You have this great music and all this presentation, and suddenly it's like, dum, sound drops out. There's no music, and you're just floating in the void. It's like, okay, right? Your ship, it doesn't look too dissimilar to the one in the Cybernoid games, I thought. It's got the same sort of shape. Yeah. Um, floats against a starry backdrop. You've got a satellite, uh, like the multiples in Salamander, constantly with you, and you have it always. There are always you and the satellite. You never lose that, so there's always two things shooting at you, shooting from you, so that's always good. The UI in the bottom border is smart um, and well-designed, showing your score, number of lives left the current super weapon you have equipped just says a b or c i'll go through them later the status of your converge weapon which i will try and explain but i have to say the converge in the battery bit did lose me a little bit and i wasn't quite sure on there maybe you can mm. elaborate on those a bit um no. yeah states of your convert weapon i'll try and explain as you move the game's power-ups float on and these can be shot so you get first of all the first thing you get is two power-ups appearing and these can be shot to gain different additions to your craft. So they start off these sort of, sort of, you know, blob sort of thing, sort of pulsing blobs or pulsing sort of sprites. And they start off playing shields. You fly into them, you get five seconds of invulnerability. Handy. You fly through scenery and everything. Really handy and really good that you can do that. Indicate, so, and this is indicated by your ship flashing a diff, different colors. It sort of cycles through the colors so you know you've got the invulnerability. If you start to shoot the power-up, though, the power-up cycles into extra forward fire uh, because when you start, you've only got two shots on screen. So you can press the fire as much as you want, but only two can be on screen at once. So with each one of these, you get an extra shot on screen. You can have up to two more of these. So you get four shots, and that's plenty. 
You can get reverse fire, so you shoot backwards. Don't forget your missile, your multiple is always shooting as well. So you've got, you know, you can get quite a wave of fire. You've got up and down bullets, so you shoot up and down. You've got extra forward fire, giving you a wider bullet spread in front of you. So instead of two bullets going forward, you get four. And you get converge. Now, this is where I started to get a bit confused, which draws power from the rear guns if you have them and gives you extra forward firepower. I don't know. It's a bit narrow, and it's like, it's kind of hard to actually notice much in the way of difference. It does look a bit thicker, like there's more bullets, but it's like, okay, it was bit hard so um there's also a generator upgrade which increases the class of the generator on board the higher the higher the class the faster the recharge rate which powers your super weapons and finally you can get a battery uh so yeah you have an onboard generator that powers your super weapon of which you have three and you can cycle through them with the commodore key in single player uh you fire this by holding down the fire button for a couple of seconds so you hold down the fire button mm-hmm. and it'll do this thing the first gives you a big laser blast and this goes through everything this is good it passes through scenery and gets enemies in hard to reach places you know it cleans the uh Cleans the places other other bleaches can't reach. You know, it's top proper under <laughs> yeah. proper under the hood toilet duck stuff. Second fires a scattered blast backwards and forwards. So you shoot both forwards and behind you. And the third one fires like a rapid repeating pulse of energy as you move. So you can sort of fire and thing, but it's not quite as, it will hit these scenery so it won't go through stuff. So you've got to pick and choose which one's best for the situation. All these use energy from your generator. Um, so using them, you're using them drains it and it takes time to refill. So it's kind of like a, you've got a cooldown basically on these. Um, so you cannot spam it. You can normally get off a couple of shots. They take different power levels. Um, if you have a battery, um, you can have up to four. I don't know where this is in the ui though but uh, this will give you an extra storage cell so you can use your super weapons more often the converge bit and the battery bit and the generate bit i found a little bit confusing to get my head around in the heat of battle trying to look at because the ui is a bit small i could i think they had a bit more space that they could have stretched it out a little bit and shown these things a bit clearer it's nicely designed but that's it's probably my one one knock against this whole thing yeah if you pick up a power up that you already have so if you got shot something down you shoot that and you pick that up by accident you get the default shield instead that's nice nothing's wasted you know you, you you've you've already got this have shield shield's never a bad thing so it's always a good thing so that's good okay so we get them as we progress we get start to get waves of enemies appearing from the right and you start to get blasting them they come in different colors different varieties some swoop in some move in more predictable patterns uh there are different variants of them and as we get past uh the stars you know this we're sort of in deep space we get to the structure of the game all metallic and it's quite reminiscent of our type it's that type of shooter this this is more our type than salamander i think mm, i agree so it's, it's it's in that mold um it's not as blatant as catechist but it clearly takes its nods from our type little robots run along the floors and ceilings they look like the r type ones to me and everything everything needs to be shot anything moving shoot it even stuff that's not moving shoot it there's lasers shoot them just shoot everything shoot 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 never stop shooting some of them will shoot at you but not too much but the quantity of enemies coming at you is what will get you as you try and navigate through the narrow confines of the level stay clear of the enemies at the same time it's our type you know this type of game it's an r type scale shooter about three quarters of the way through the first level you get a mini boss okay so this in most games this would be a boss it's just a mini boss pretty big moving about the screen really fast firing at your shots and you've got to shoot in its weak point enough times to kill it it's a great sound effect when you are hitting its weak spot to give you good feedback yeah, and it yeah, flashes yeah. like bomb 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 really nice basic bomb kill that you've got a bit more level to get through and then we get the big big end of level boss even bigger it takes up you know most of the right after screen flying about firing bullets at you again shoot the middle kill it uh you kill that and it's on to the next level for more action bit of loading again we get the nice countdown so we know how long we've got to wait the second level's more varied enemies different backdrops and on and on across all eight uh across repeat this different backdrops different enemies across all eight levels the game has to offer different different bosses 
you know, whatever. It's a, it's that kind of shooter. Progress. Okay. So on the face of it, it's another in the long line of horizontal scrolling shooters we've seen on the machine. We've seen quite a few, but that doesn't really come close to the technical prowess that's on display here. It, it's kind of hard to know where to start with Armalite in sort of throwing the praise at it. The scrolling and frame rate are flawless, no matter how much is moving on screen. In my time playing it, I saw no slowdown. None. Just none. I felt no lack of response in the controls. No, absolutely it's, not. It's fast. It's flawless. It's responsive. You can fire as hard as you want. There's bullets flying everywhere. The number of enemies coming on screen is crazy. At times, there's just so much going on screen. It looks, it feels like an arcade game. Screens full of them, all animated, all moving smoothly. The visuals on everything are some of the best we've seen on the machine. They're really well-drawn, well-shaded, they're well-animated, incredibly good. Everything fits coherently together. Nothing looks out of place. The enemies are great to look at. The shooting's responsive. The super weapons feel like super weapons when you blast that laser out or get the thing. Is they're not brilliant, but they're you know they're brilliant. They're cool and it feels like and it just take loads of stuff out. Don't forget, in amongst all this, you've always got the multiple. You've always got a satellite with you firing just as much as you are. So it's not just, and that's animated as well. It's just, and that's designed itself. The explosions um, on the enemies are great when they blow up. Really nice animated explosions. The levels are massive. I read the 32, each at least level is 32 screens long. And so I did read that they, and they actually get around this sometimes. Now, I don't know if they did it in this one, but they were planning this for the second one. That they, when they do the star bits, they, if you've got the power lights going, they, they, they stop scrolling you. So it fe- and then they just bring on waves, waves only. So it feels like the end, the waves are longer. The, the screen, you know, the levels are longer than thirty two screens because they stop it when there's nothing actually scrolling on screen. And after a bit, then scroll back on again. So that's a really clever, clever way to. And I don't know if they do it in this one, but they were definitely planning it for Armalite Two, which I'll come to in a bit. The star starfield in the parallax mode looks great. It's a really nice uh, starfield. The UI is smart, as I said, and fits, and that it and it all takes place on this full screen because. The, the full you get to play this on the full screen the ui's in the bottom board there's nothing else it's just you've got the full screen to play around in so loads of space the sound effects are great as i said just shooting this is a nice shot sound effects the explosion sound effects pings bangs booms whooshes bass booms when you're hitting the uh um, the boss it's all great could it have done with some in-game music maybe i just can only imagine there's no space left for it <laughs> i just can't imagine that there's just there's no there's no interrupt time or whatever oh, nothing to, that would do it justice maybe yeah i don't think you really need it it feels like it's pushing the machine all the way right now this feels it like you're playing this and you're like jesus christ and it goes beyond what we saw in both salamander and catechist i think by some way the end of level bosses are huge and varied and because it's flicker free smooth as hell and and again show a technical proficiency with the machine which seems way beyond most things we've seen so far this is the closest we've had to an arcade game on the machine by some way it feels like an arcade machine it just feels it so fast it's just bloody astonishing they've got so much moving and it's also smooth and fast and responsive. The collision detection also feels on the side of the player as well, with it being possible to just survive, where in other games that are more punitive, Catechist, I'm looking at you, you would have been killed. The ship is small enough to fit through gaps nicely, but even like if you just clip the scenery, you won't die. It, the, the hitbox on you is smaller than actually you are, and that's good. That's a very good thing. Whereas the hitbox on the enemies is cool. You can be slightly off sort of thing, and your bullets will still take them out. Again, great. This is on your side. Not that it's easy though; it's bloody hard. Because not, yeah, not. I'm not saying you won't die or anything. You will a lot. This is still a hard game, and getting through all eight massive levels is going to take some doing. But you'll want to try it. You want to try and do that. I never spent. I don't know if I played this at yours, but I don't think I knew anyone with this back then for reasons I've outlined in previous episodes. I got a scene by this point. I wasn't playing that many games. I didn't have a disc drive. 
everyone that knew that might have had this would have been on disc. It's a multi-loader, so he's never going to get it onto tape. Simple as that. But I am damn glad I got to play it now. I love this. I, I felt, yeah, this deserves that gold medal. This is amazing. It's certainly the pinnacle of the C64 shooters we've played so far. And if anything comes along to beat it, I'll be amazed. I don't know of anything we've got coming down the line in this style. You know, we've got to play R-Type. I don't know. I can't remember R-Type. And I don't know. Maybe they'll be good. I don't know. And I haven't even mentioned this is fully playable with two players as well. <laughs> blasting their way through the game with no discernible dip in frame rate or speed. Um, and even You even get color-coded power-ups as well when you're playing in two players. And if you want a real challenge, put it into two-player mode and play it in single player. Just play one player. Player two will soon die, but you don't have the multiple. So if you really want that challenge um, of just playing this with one craft, you know you can do that, just put it into two-player mode. There's still a bit more to cover on this, though. Uh, in 2010, Cytronic released a version called the Competition Edition, uh, which had all the original stuff on it, along with some early demo versions of the game and a demo of Armalite 2 as well, which was in production. Because there was a sequel in the works, and there is some evidence of this over at the Games That Weren't website. We'll put the links in the show notes. It doesn't actually say the why it never ever came out I, I don't know so i couldn't there's an interview there from from a later issue of zap and it does give some detail on what they're aiming for and like i said they also do demos so if you try these demos out there's a music one but there's also three playable bits with these sort of new weapons they sort of i think one of the weapons is this bounce around the screen incredible thing it's like pretty amazing stuff going on there so yeah they were they were really planning some interesting stuff uh for what they were going to do with armalite 2 and th- i think you know you take it with a pinch of salt but they said they'd already optimized it by up to 45 percent. so I'm like jesus okay can only imagine what that would have been like but unless it never actually came out uh like i said we'll put it in the show notes so it's worth going to check that out <sighs> anyway after all that definitely worth the gold medal it's incredible what they've got working here on the c64 what a blast this was i loved this thought it was ace i didn't really know what, what it was going to be like i never played it but yeah ace what did you think? I remember Armalite from back in the day. I remember it being very, very good. Um, I actually, I remembered it. I didn't remember, I remember it being amazingly good. I just didn't remember it being that good. Um, and that wasn't a, a detriment or anything like that. It's just, it kind of got lost in a sea of other games that came that came around, I think, in the, in the way that I received them at that time. Mm-hmm. So it probably got more of a tertiary look back then than it deserved. It's certainly, upon replay now, a really standout game. I mean, goodness me. I mean, there's really little, very little you could criticize it for. I mean, it's got amazing graphics. It's a really easy in. There's great power-ups. The presentation is about the best you're going to get on the C64. The graphics are astonishingly well-shaded and really well-drawn in every instance. The audio is great. The music's brilliant. Sound effects brilliant. It's really fast. Everything's really well-drawn. Everything's really well animated, is animated. It's really got colourful backgrounds, multiple power-ups that are varied, loads of player affordance. I mean, everything you could possibly want. It's like they've listened and learned from all the other games. You know, they've done the very thing that we've asked repeatedly for them to do. Play Mm. the other games, look at the peer games, and do the things that they do really well, and just do that. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what has happened here. They've really gone into detail with some of the other games and thought, right, what are the things that really bug the players? They must have had that conversation because everything that's bugged me about every other game of this type isn't here. Yeah. They've advanced it. They've, they've made allowances for it. They've fixed it. So what you end up with is by a country mile, easily one of the best, if not the best, shoot 'em up side-scrolling shoot 'em up on the C64 by miles. It's incredible. It's an incredible game, an incredible game to play, an incredible technical feat. I mean, the code base for this has got to be, it's just astonishing. I mean, I know that these... Very clever use of the way they've done the multiplexer in there. Uh, but even so, now other games have tried it. We've, we've seen them all, and some of them have got nearly there. But this one, I mean, it's got everything exactly right. I think it's really, really, really clever, this. Great game. 
all works as it should. Nice. Really nice to play a game like that. It feels like there was real passion and love in it. Um, mm. And it shows. Right down to the very fact that when you listen to the music, the Martin Walker extra music, and like you said, it explains why it's important because it explains the cycles. When they're going to that much detail, when they're describing the music for people who are not necessarily that Cody or anything, you know that they've been sat there having a conversation about how they can squeeze everything out of that machine when they are thinking about the cycles that the music uses. It's incredible, this. Go play it immediately. It's yeah. easily one of the best games on the C64. It's certainly in that super league of games that is very, very few in. And mercifully, it came at the right time as disillusion was starting to creep in. And I think it's a little bit of a glove slap to all the Amiga games that have suddenly flooded into Zap when this one comes along and shows you that there is still many, many great games to be had on that C64 hardware. Fantastic game, this. Really, really good. I played all the other extra bits too. All really quite interesting. But you can see a game that's written and coded like that, it amazes me they didn't follow up with something. But And also, as a final footnote, really, I can't think of any other side-scrolling shoot-em-ups after it. I think there's Menace, and there's a couple, like our type, obviously, but nothing was good. Yeah, the only <laughs> one I could think sure of, that. Was, as I said, but it's not the same sort of thing as that retrograde, isn't it? So. Retrograde, yeah, it's a slightly different thing. But you've got, say, you've got Menace in there, you've got that coming up, which is, I, I can remember the music, but I can't remember the game. Oh, I can't remember that at all. It's just somebody's got that really weird music that goes do 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 dots no, they're animated good. bullets like with a sort of little sort of thing that sort of anim- sort of flips around and you can see it in sort of 3d it's like really you know there's two different yeah. types everything that has been thought about even the alien eggs that because there's obviously heavy alien influence in this mm. but even the alien eggs that sort of burst you know there's, there's, yeah. there's a whole vibe around it it's, it's genuinely very clever game that yeah really enjoyed it it's, of course it's deserving of its gold medal and by the way the previous gold medals barbarian 2 and hawkeye oh yeah, they, they were, were the last two of these Okay, yeah. It yeah. is a while then. Yeah. There we go. So that was back in August, I think. And we were a bit like, mm, maybe we're both of them, but no no question with this one, I don't think. No question about it. No, no question about no it No question at all. about it all. There we go. That's Armalite. Awesome stuff. Good start. I'm sure it will all continue in that vein. Graham, you've got the next one. Tell us all about Vector Ball. Published by Mad, um, or published because people were mad. I'm not sure which. Um, <laughs> musicians Wally Bebben. This is described as a complex blend of speed of ice hockey, the precision of netball, and the complex curves of crown green bowls. <laughs> complex curves. There's a combo I never thought I'd hear. Ice hockey, netball, and bowls. Those things never, somebody's, never have been somebody's combined. Somebody's been watching Transwell Sport. Haven't they just? That's all I can think um, of. Um, imagine that played between two droids on a specially constructed pitch. There we go. Um, it says, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go over the fully in the instructions because this is essentially a future sport game. And I'll be honest with you, future sport games make me very uneasy on the C64 because majority of them have been utterly crap. Yeah, I still think this the best is no exception. Ball blazer. Yeah, this was. This isn't. This is not in the same league as that. Um, it says on this. <laughs> no. Unlike almost every other sport, the pitch is not flat. And I'm thinking, oh, hang on a minute, unlike almost every other sport, the pitch is not flat. But there are lots of sports where the pitch is not flat. Golf isn't a flat, 
you know, it's bumpy no. and has hills and yeah. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I know football's played on a flat pitch and cricket, I suppose, but there are other sports that have bumpy yeah. ground. Horse racing probably is, you know, that can be quite. Well, bad, I think the going's anyway. tough to tough to bend in it. <laughs> going's tough to flimsy. He said, <laughs> instead, it has bumps, ridges, ditches, and waves. Aren't they all kind of the same thing? <laughs> yes. So anyway, it says at the starting level, there is a single hill in the center of the pitch. At the, as the player's handicap increases, he gets to play in every more convoluted pitches. More hills is what happens. It <laughs> gets just, hillier. It does get hillier. So the word convoluted, it's got to, you know, convoluted is not a word I would use. The to the game here then <laughs> is to outscore your opponent. So you've got to score. It's, just like, it's kind of a weird version of hockey. You know, you've just got to score more goals than the person you're playing against. And it's kind of done in, it's almost, it's a, it's just such a weird blend of things. It's quasi, quasi air hockey in the kind of way that the ball moves around, but it plays like netball in the sense that you once you can't move around with it. You have to whack it around, then stand still and shoot. It's really stupid. And it's not like when I say stand still, you've got some kind of droid that pings and bounces around in the most uncontrollable way anyway. So all of this is moot. All of it's completely moot. So you, you score goals by maneuvering the ball into the goal obviously, which are set at either end of the, I'd say pitch, but okay, whatever you would call that. And you've got to sort of, it's really weird. You've got to sort of sh- throw the ball into the goal. Oh, it's just stupid. Just throw the ball into the goal with your droid thing. The pitch is bounded by a fence, so it's possible to bounce it off the walls, but that can lead to your opposing droid touching it and bouncing around. Not that they will, because they just fling and ping around like a, it's, it's next to impossible, this. It's really stupid, this game. Really, really stupid. You can press fire, which will extend the droid's neck um, and give it like a, a power shot. We call that the pillow move. <laughs> <laughs> it's as much as the information of the instructions as I'm going through. And like I said, I'm very wary of games set in sporting futures, especially like this. I liked the music. I liked the music. The Wally Bebe music. Okay. It's all right. And I liked how it played as the level loaded as well. That was kind of weird. It threw me completely. I thought it was broken, but it, that was okay. So it must be a throwback to it being on tape or something. Mm. The options on the title screen were a cluttered mess, um, but you can choose from stuff, I suppose. One or two player... The levels, which are the hills, the ditches, Wave City and Megamix, not Dippy Valley, the divots, put all hell or love lumps, as I thought they might have called them, um, because they're all the same level. It's all the same thing. It's, just, it's a flat thing with various lumps in it. The Megamix is just a mixture of the, of the three. <laughs> so stupid. You can have a three, five or seven minute game. All of those are too long. Yeah, they are. And you can uh, just the friction percentage, which is not a metric I've seen outside of engineering or the sex toy industry. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. the game itself, it's an uncontrollable mess. The screen is an isometric high-res view of some kind of landscape with associated bumps or dips, whatever you want to call them, divots. In the top left of the screen is the timer. Bottom right is the scores. In the middle is the yellow high-res bump map. It's essentially a mesh with lumpy malformations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You control, and I use that term in the lightest possible sense, your player droid. Your droid flits and shoots around experiencing the lack of friction to the max. You are going to fly around the screen and wonder where you are at all times, because even if you adjust the friction, it won't help. No. And you must try and guide your ball to score goals with the puck-like thing. You've got to try and guide the robot and sort of maneuver it around. It's not doesn't feel like that when you're actually playing it. It's just things moving around at hyperspeed and disappearing and you're like, what's going on? Your opponent does the same. It's kind of like air hockey, but not quite. You get that hinge netball type throw, which doesn't help and extending your necks didn't seem to do anything that really was tangible. So when you pull a pillow, it doesn't do much. You're not very mellow. Um, <laughs> you can move the ball, I suppose. I'll just stand there. What difference does it make? Um, you're no. never going to really understand what's going on. I managed to score a goal. I don't know if it was me or if it was the other player or how it happened. Just sort of, hey, goal. I was like, oh, uh, okay. One nil up. Great. It's an uncontrollable piece of shit, this game. 
I suppose, I suppose as an interesting footnote, because I hated this game, it got 11%, it's crap. However, the notion of what this game is, is expanded. If you expand it, close half an eye, and then straighten that pitch and go top-down view, you're starting to head towards speedball, aren't you? <laughs> you have to squint quite a lot, and then like, like, and then f- fully close your eyes, and then just imagine speedball, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but you can start to see you know, space future games set on a pitch, moving things around, moving a ball around that bounces off the sides. Yeah. You're starting to head that way. So uh, until then, until you get that version of this, this is just shit. Um, It came out on loads of other formats as well. 16-bit, everything. I checked those out. They're just as crap, only, well, a bit more coloured. And weirdly on the Amiga, your player looks like a gold centurion with a triangle for a body. Well, that's what it looks like on Um, the cover. Um, Even like on the 64 version, though, he looks... I don't know what to describe him. It's like a salt and pepper part, a really bad one. <laughs> naff, just naff. Looks, naff, looks naff, like he's naff, sticking naff. his tongue out right here on that C64 just, cover. Yeah, the cover's crap. The game's crap. Everything about it was crap. Even the price was crap. Three pounds. No. No. No, thanks. Get lost. Hated it. It's rubbish. Move on. What did you think? Uh, yeah. Another future sport nightmare flops into budget land. That's my... Uh, I'll say, I will say one thing. I actually... The visuals on the arena the sort of isometric layout and the way that it, it actually, you know, uses a line to actually simulate those bumps and stuff. They were all right. They look like bumps. They, they look like what they were supposed to be. That's it. That's it. There's nothing here. This controls awfully. This is one of the worst controls. It reminded me of that other awful one where, um, was it Xeno? Where you spend half yeah. the time off the screen because yep. you just overshoot constantly. <laughs> yep. The only time you see yourself is because you've sped up too fast and gone the other way. This felt like that. I was just bouncing all over the place. I couldn't control this. It was nightmarish. Terrible to play. Um, there's no control. It's bloody dull to look at, listen to. Every it's just awful. Awful. If you put the word vector in a game title, I'm already going to be looking at it. You know, side eye. I'm going to be looking at a scant because mm. you've got the word vector yeah. in there, and that feels entirely justified here. There may be some clever code in this. I'm guessing with the maths and things bouncing around and the hills and the things and blah yeah. blah blah. I get there's some probably some of that, but it's rubbish to play. It's rubbish to play. This is awful. Just dreadful. Yeah, 11%. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, you can't control it. You cannot control no. this. So, no, um, it's a load of vector balls. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I don't think I can, uh, I can add to that. <laughs> don't want to add to your vector balls. See through balls. <laughs> See through balls. <laughs> yeah, like, they shouldn't have put the word vector in. They promise a lot in that instruction as well that you can get off curved shots that go round the bumps and lumps. No, you can't. At least yeah, I no. couldn't. No, no, you can't. Rubbish. Let's spend no time in the vector balls. Let's move on. To our next one, 4x4 Off-Road Racing. Sorry, £9.99. This is from Epics. This is, and it was designed by Ogden Micro Design Incorporated. Omdi. Omdi. Mm, Omdi Consumer Products. Omdi Consumer Yeah, fancy, isn't it? Ogden Micro. Although it sounds like Stan Ogden. So I'm a bit, you know, a bit worried about Mm. this. Hilda Ogden. It was coded by Paul R. Nichols, Joe Simcoe, Ed Schoenberg, Stephen M. Thomas, and K-Byte, which I really, really hope is their robotic dog. Um, (laughs) Because if it's not, I'm going to be very, very disappointed. It's got visuals by Paul Vernon and sound by Paul Jacques. Jacques who also helped design this. So this is an off-road racing game, as it says. And as such, there is not much story to be had with this one. Supposedly, according to what I read in the instructions, you're, some, you're the king of the mountain in off-road racing. I don't, is that the official terminology? That's what it said. Mm, I'm sure that that's the uh, the grand prize or something, but <laughs> you okay. You win the belt in boxing and in, you know, in off-road racing, you, you, win, you become king of the mountain. I'm not sure what <laughs> mountain. Strong on his mountain. <laughs> strong on his mountain. Fast in his 4x4 four four he is. <laughs> <laughs> some will, 
Crom. <laughs> All you other racers live underneath him. <laughs> anyway, now you've tried to take on four of the toughest courses in the world for some reason. So off you go and try and make your way through them. You'd think you'd have already done that if you were king of the mountain, but... What do I know? Yes, you'd think so, wouldn't you? You would have thought so. Those courses are the Baja, Baja Challenge, the Death Valley Trek, the Georgia Mudfest, or the Michigan Winter Wreck-Off. That's it. So when the game eventually loads, the loading of this is slow and painful, and there is a lot of it. There is a lot of slow loading in this. It is very slow. Painful. Um, you're first asked to pick your course and difficulty level from the four on offer. So there's easy, medium, it's four, four, whatever. Uh, and then pick your vehicle from, again, the four on offer. These are the Cox Motors Stormtrooper, the Venerable Motors Tarantula, the Oyama Motor Corp Katana, and the Tartan Lorry MFG Highlander. There you go. Mm, okay. They sound Katana, Stormtrooper, Highlander, mm. Tarantula. They sound cool. Mm. They're just yeah. bore by they're just, they're just station wagons. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, just lorries, just trucks. Just trucks, yeah. All of these have different stats measured by their power, the weight, gas mileage, endurance, the ERF, which I don't know, which, you know, I thought were a British indie band, payload without cap and with cap and fuel capacity. There you go. All of which are meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. I was coming to that. Once you've chosen your ride, it's time to buckle in for more loading before you're presented with a side-on view of a street. This threw me completely. I was like, "Hey, it's got your vehicle at the bottom, and there's a couple of shops at the top, and you can you've got the ability to visit these couple of stores to stock up on stuff for the ride ahead." That is, if you didn't pick easy mode, because easy mode completely skips this bit; it just takes you straight to the racing. Anyway, two shops await you. There's the custom shop and the automart. In the custom shop, you can buy a winch, an extra capacity fuel tank, a cap that lets you carry more stuff, tires which come in standard, mudder, and all terrain. Once done there, you can go to the Automart and buy things like water, oil, coolant, transmission fluid, extra batteries, and all kinds of other stuff should your ride get damaged on the road. Once you've bought all you wanted, being careful to balance fuel and weight and all that, then you walk to the right-hand side of the screen and commence the loading of the race. I can't help feel that this was pointless, and that could have just been presented to be in a menu. Yes, yes, it should have been. Really? You know, this was over-designed rubbish. There's no need for this to be loaded. Just give me a menu. Stuff, how much do you want? Menu and numbers. I can handle that. What tyres do you want? Du-du-du. One of three. Yeah. Don't need this. Nice easy. Nonsense. When this loads, you greet with the race itself. And here we have a standard 3D racing view behind the car and someone waving a flag on the right. The controls here are fire to go faster, left and right to steer, down to brake slowly, and up for emergency brake, which makes no real sense. That's counterintuitive. I was pushing up to get going at first, and I yeah, wonder why I won't go exactly. anywhere. Idiots. There's no gears or anything, so it's just fire down and steer. The graphics are functional at best. The landscape is all the same colour depending on the location you choose. So it's brown or white or sort of variant of. And the road is simply some markings along the edges. <laughs> so the road is the same color as the rest of the screen. There's just markings. Cheap. Yeah. Um, on the road, you've got hazards like tires, logs, rocks, both big and small, and all kinds of crap that get in your way along with other drivers. If you hit small things, you do a jump or a pop onto two wheels. But if you hit something big, it will flip your car. <laughs> you'll do forward flips, side flips. You always land on your tires though. You're like a cat. And you'll damage it enough, but eventually you'll damage it enough that you'll need to do repairs on it. So if you need to do that, there's more loading, which is really slow. And you need to use those things you bought at the shop to fix your car. And once you've done that, you can slowly get slowly back to the race after more loading. And then you're back in the race where you are. And you just, I don't know. It just seems to go on forever, this game. I never seem to get anywhere. The tracks just are endless, monotonous turns and colors and stuff and boredom. If you total your car three times, which I did on purpose after a while, then it's game over. And that's about it. You just race over hills. There's hills. There's checkpoints. It's just really dull and bland and brown. 
or white. It's, uh, at times, there are splits in the road. I don't know why. Did you understand why there were splits in the road? Did they take you different routes? No, no, I couldn't not really. get my head around why there was. Maybe there are different things down different routes, but it all looks the same, so it's hard to say. So it's not like Outrun, where you had the splits and like take you to completely different things, you know, locations. These are just it's the same. It's the same brown. Sometimes you go through red bits, which will slow you down. You just got, I just got in a dump in a red red stuff, and I just had to yep. keep hammering the fire button just to get out of it. I don't know why. Overall, this is just simply hold the fire button down and steer, and there's nothing much beyond that. I kind of get the ambition to make it feel like you need to plan your route and take objects, you know, stuff with you and repair stuff. And there's a little part of me that looks at this, and I'm like, yeah, the game's it's not particularly great, but it does bring to mind later rally games. So games we'll see down the line, like Colin McRae, V-Rally, WRC games, even things like Gran Turismo, the Forza games, where you're, you know, you're having to repair your car, you you, you know, you talk a touring car, things like that. Um, and so these and those kind of longer longer style racing games, so even, uh, I can't remember, those other games, but those kind of rally games where you'll do a stage and then you'll sing and you've got a certain amount of time to repair bits and bobs of your car to try and make it through to the next stage and things like that. So there is the elements of that in this. And like other games, we're seeing these kind of elements here. However, the crippling loading and bland and boring racing just cripple any sense of enjoyment here and it just turns something that could be a fun little boogie boy type thing you know you could have had a bit of boogie boyish with a bit more some more simulatory side to this but this just overcomplicated and i just didn't really care for it at all i just got really bored really quickly because the actual racing is dull as the brown that the screen is awash in so i didn't particularly like this very much now apart from you know could see some of those elements down the line what about you pretty much the same experience really i mean ah that music when it started why would anyone choose to get the annoying sound from Houston's Nebulous and make that a drum sound? <laughs> it's that American sound in music, isn't it? They all have that American music yeah, but sound. They use, but they specifically use the sound from Houston's Nebulous when you get that thing that goes... Oh, yeah. but it's that sound. In fact, I'll even put a comparison sound of it here. So you can hear it. It's that sound. Um, as soon as I heard that, I thought about putting a pencil in my ear and hammering it in and then the slow loading oh well, nothing kills a game racing game exciting racing game than loading things in slowly painful that very painful pick your truck from the options that mean nothing add some bits from the options that mean nothing and get racing and racing you shall through the brown ah so much brown i know it's off road but brown so much brown this is a depressing <laughs> color to drive through there's some blue mountains in the background on the parallax scroll and they cover those. The thing in front of them is brown hills. Yep. You know, so I'm driving towards brown hills on a brown road in a brown truck. Is this the brownest game we've played in a while? Uh, I think it might be as brown as that critical mass, the Yorkshire pudding game. Yeah, exactly. So this is the you know the sequel. What happened to Epics? I mean, did they not do Pit Stop 2 and Supercycle? Are they not familiar with how racing games work? <sighs> Sadly, something tells me there's been a sea change and the sea change because i think they're on the way out now actually with epics anyway yeah um the road effect was horrible feels this game feels as dry as a game like this could be as absolutely no enthusiasm generates no enthusiasm when you play skate or die they have a feel for the thing they're doing this one doesn't it's just it feels like rote boring that floaty driving the trucks are naff the ui dreary dashboard at the bottom absolutely no relevance to anything no crappy sounds Nothing much to race, mainly. I just found myself avoiding tires and bits of log. It's just not very good. It's got that hill effect in it, again, that we saw in 19. No, 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 19. Yeah, it has, um, yeah. It's a little bit better at that, but it's still not great. It still gets in the way of what you're trying to do. I suppose there's some nice animations as such if, if you, you know, hits the hits stuff. But <laughs> it's when you flip. Are they nice? When the you flip? That's just stupid. 
it's stupid. Why do that? I mean, it's sort of trying to throw a bit of arcadeism in there, isn't it? Because you know, Outrun does that. So, you know, if the vehicle's going to flip, it's going to flip yeah. crazy. But this is a, you know, this game is essentially a long ride down a brown road and no euphemism intended. This game is a toilet flush. No, thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, that's what I mean. It's doing, it's neither one thing nor the other. It, it, it's like the, the game bit is all arcadey, but a bit arcadey, but then the you've got all that extra baggage of fuel and planning and doing all that stuff. And in the it's end, just you're, just, you're driving what, you know, the, the car that he's driving in um, Christmas vacation to pick up his bloody Christmas tree. That's not an exciting thing to do. You're supposed to be king oh, of the boring. mountain. Well, you're supposed to be driving, a, you know, it's meant to be a truck. Not look like it, though. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's not a it's not a four by four off road racer, you know. It's the super family truckster with the uh, optional rally fun pack. <laughs> this could have been a Colt Seavers. Uh, it could have been a Fall Guy. Game. Had it been a bit more like that, it might have been more interesting. But no, it isn't. Instead of playing the King of the Mountain, you could have played the Unknown Stuntman. I mean, I, I get the I get the comparisons to, to Boogie Boy, but only in the sense that it's kind of that idea, very yes. generally, that you're racing off road. Other than that, these you know these are chalk and cheese. Not every, oh, yeah, not yeah. very exciting. Terrible turn of events for Epics, really. This is, you know, this is rapidly going downhill. Sad yeah, because we had that other one, didn't we? That LA Crackdown. LA Crackdown. We've had that recent, you know, it's the Game Summer Edition or whatever it was. Or winter oh, edition, yeah, Winter sorry. Edition, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's heading down. A, a, a sort of a shame road. But you know that it's eventually going to close its doors anytime soon, so. Yeah, true. Here we go. 4 by 4 off-road racing. Brown. So brown. So brown. Let's move on. We've got one more of this part, um, and then we'll be heading off to take a break. So Graham, fill us with intensity. From Firebird, this developed by Graphgold, which means it's created by Andrew Braybrook with musician here, Steve Turner. So it's Graphgold. In a nutshell, the Canis Major space station is under siege by aliens and needs to be evacuated. There you go. Tidy game premise, that. The objective is to rescue Connors from the space station under siege by hordes of alien creatures that can mutate to several deadly forms. The colonists are to be transported to any one of five escape shuttles by picking them up with the remote control drone. This is guided by the surface skimmer, which you control. Rescuing sufficient men from the particular screen or platform allows both craft to progress in one of three directions, and that depends on how many men are rescued. So the game is played out over five rows of platforms, each 16 platforms wide. The layers are labeled Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, and Epsilon, which are obviously the Greek alphabet, mm -hmm. and are ranked in order of difficulty, Alpha being the hardest, and you actually start on Gamma layer one. You control your surface skimmer around the platform with the joystick, locating appropriate places for your remote control drone and hitting the fire button where you want it to land. Colonists that need transporting will run to the drone for pickup. They run, they do. They look like they little do. blobs, but they are pe there's people in them blobs. They're real mm -hmm. people, they are. Some of them are ha uh, in hard-to-reach places or near bridges that need activating, which you just land on. Either way, they will try their hardest to get to the drone, so they will try and run to your little drone um, when it's landed. They also have limited oxygen and can be attacked by the various alien enemies, which I'll come to in a bit. If they successfully reach your drone, you can zoom around and try and collect more. Eventually, gateways to the other platforms and layers will become available based on how many men you have rescued. Sorry, how many colonists you have rescued. Let's not gender stereotype anybody these days. Also, as you rescue more, an R token will appear and float around for you to collect, one or two of them anyway, with your surface skimmer. These are your RUs or resource units. As you progress in the game, these can be used to buy new upgraded skimmers and drones. Nice. Mm. There are several different types of aliens that will do their best to thwart your plan, your rescue attempts, starting with spores that float about looking for the landing sites. You can bash into these, by the way, with your skimmer or drone to get rid of them. But if you don't and they land, they can become stalkers. As a stalker, they will bounce up and down, causing damage to the platform. It's quite funny to watch as well. 
They can also mutate into a podule, or if they grab a colonist trying to escape, become a nucleon. A podule is a kind of like, it's kind of like an egg, uh, sort of an in-between stage, a bit like a facehugger egg type thing, aliens. It's clearly a bit of aliens inspiration in this. Right. And they're vulnerable to the drone and the skimmer, but if they fully hatch, they will become a tracker. We'll come to that in a second. Trackers are a nightmare. A nucleon is a fireball caused by a stalker grabbing a colonist, and it will then flitter about until it runs out of oxygen, aiming for your drone or skimmer. So it was sort of like a sort of a heat seeker. If it makes contact, it can destroy you or downgrade you. Um, so you've got to avoid them at all costs. The final trackers, as I said, are a nightmare as they will home in on your drone, seeking to destroy it and downgrade it. Each platform has a... And by the way, when I say home, they don't, just, they don't actually just zoom straight towards you. They kind of zigzag. They're actually a bloody pain in the ass when you're playing this game. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you don't actually get so many. Avoid that at all costs. So anyway, each platform has a different design, sometimes with damaged areas, bridges and gaps between platforms. So it gets hard to navigate around. It's all on one screen. There's no scrolling here. Um, so each one is a simple one screen affair, which is by design, by Andrew Braybrook's design. He, in an interview in RetroGamer, he said that he didn't want a scrolling game. He wanted to have be able to run this game at 50 frames a second, which it does, and have it all on one screen because he was tired of having to make scrolling sacrifices. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Anyway, I'll come back to that in a bit. So um, everyone's got a different design, as I said, with different damage areas. There's hazards as well, including walls, towers, and things that are of different heights. Remember that... Your skimmer can skim, but not all of the skimmers. There's three different variations of skimmer, and not all of the skimmers can actually skim at the same height. So you, sometimes you can't avoid, you've got to avoid things as opposed to skim over them, um, which can ha- have a quite variation how you p- approach some of the levels, especially the difficult levels. So it's quite interesting that you do that. And you start with three skimmers and three drones. Losing them all is a bad move because that will lead to game over. Uh, once you've rescued the colonists, you can leave that platform via the exit, which will illuminate. And depending on how many you've rescued... Uh, that will indicate with the Greek letter which platform layer you can go to. And each, so you can go in sort of a different direction. If you go to the left, it goes easy. You go to the right, it's slightly harder. You go up, it's, you're going up towards the gamma, delta, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon. So you're working way up the difficulty chain. So right. um, you've got to be wary of that. Remember that they are in order of difficulty. Um, and the screen, when you go to this kind of map screen, shows five rows of 16 blocks. So you get like a progress map. I'll sort of describe that a bit more in detail in a minute, but you go to this progress screen. Each row is labeled and every block you complete or have yet to complete is indicated on there. So you can sort of see where you're going. It's actually a pretty clear progress map when it appears. It's Initially, you look at it and think, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. But it's actually just five rows of 16 blocks and the ones that you've done are kind of flashing, illuminated in white. So I thought it was quite clear where you've got to go. And you actually just got to make your way to the right. You've got to get to the end to where the escape shuttles are. It doesn't matter which one you're on when you do it. you just got to get there, and which is quite nice. The game's completed if you get to the last platform on any of the five layers, at which point the escape shuttle will launch. Um, also, at the progress map point, you can spend your RUs on upgraded drones or skimmers. So as you collect them, you get an option to buy new skimmers, um, which you will need to do for any of the more difficult levels and can tell you that for a fact there are three upgrades possible for the skimmer and for the drone they are alpha beta and gamma and generally they're more expensive as you go up the sort of the more abilities they have with their speed and the height they can skim so they'll cost different ru values and importantly very importantly in this game they take time to build and time in this game is measured in what they call segments so the game is actually divided up into segments that's like morpheus isn't it yeah, and well, there's, there's, there's t- things he's, he's taken directly from Morpheus in here and also a little bit of Gribblies in terms of the way the aliens work as well. I'll come to that. Mm. So the mutant attack begins at segment zero and the game begins at segment two with three beta-class skimmers and drones available. So that's how you start. Where one segment equates to about 45 seconds of gameplay. After segment 50, no more skimmers or drones can be built. When a segment passes, a message is shown at the bottom of the screen to show the current segment. Any pending skimmers or drones due for delivery at the new segment are then delivered. Only one skim or drone can be delivered in any one segment. 
It sounds quite complicated, actually, all of that. But in reality, when you're playing the game, it just means that you just don't get instant upgrades. Nothing's instant. That's something that's borrowed heavily from Morpheus. Yeah, massively. So, yeah. so, And also from a couple of other games as well, where he cites in the interview some board games that he played where you have to wait for your upgrades. And I quite like that idea. It's quite a nice idea. So you can't just not like it. And it's a sort of a... It sets it instantly apart from the kind of shoot 'em ups that we've been playing, and that that's I think now that's by design here. Everything is by design here, so quite important that, and it does set it so. So it's this is not a shooter, and if you looked at it right away, you'd probably think it was, but it, it's not quite like that. So taking all that into account, you fly your skimmer, land your drone, rescue the colonists, and upgrade your vehicles while trying to navigate the platform layers. All in a day's work in it for the old uh, intensity. Hence the reason why it's called intensity, because this game is quite intense, no mm. doubt about that. Very well put together. Graphics have got a nice quasi-base relief, Eurydium-y feel almost. The main sprites all work well, and there's nice solid production. You can tell this is a Graph Gold game. It has those layers of solid production. There's decent music in there. Good sound effects, actually, right the way throughout. You know, it, it, I like how it played. I thought it had a nice strategic arcade feel to this, and there's plenty to do. And it's a tough old game, too. It doesn't necessarily seem like it. And it takes a little bit of time to get into the space of the game. All the colours, and I think, work to give this a nice solid feel. The title screen's quite minimal, well, the first one anyway, and then you get like a nice animated thing. There's a nice demo mode in there as well, so it can shows you exactly how to play. Do you know, I don't know if you, we wouldn't have seen it in the version we played, but in the tape version of this, when it's loading in, it has actually a, it pl- plays a, a version of the game as it loads and shows you how to play the game completely as it loads in. Oh, how clever. clever is that? That is very really clever. nice, yeah. really nice that it does that. Um, leveraging a peculiarity of the way tape loaders work on the 64 that freed up lots of raster time. So he was able to basically show you how the game works while it loads. Nice. Very nice. There's no avoiding the sort of arcade heritage in this, though, a little bit. You know, it's still got those kind of, it's got that kind of vibe. There's some nice game options here. One or two player, either port, two players sharing one joystick, two players with two joysticks. You can change the volume of the music. You can even change it from color to monochrome mode if you want to as well. Quite interesting to do that. I'm sure what the benefit that is. Maybe just quirky, but it's it's quite interesting that it does that. We did, we did, I'm sure we saw, we saw another game that did that, I think. I can't remember what it is now, though. There's another game that had a black and white mode. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I tried, but it didn't make a difference to me, but it's, it's I imagine it, maybe it does. It certainly doesn't make it any less or more playable. It's still, still a very, very clever, cleverly designed game. Like all Braybrook games, there's more than meets the eye to this. I think this is perhaps my second favorite Braybrook game to Paradroid. Um, wow. There's a lot of layers to this, and it feels like there's a lot of thought behind the design and the nuances in this game. It doesn't seem like it initially, because you just sort of see the screen and you think, right, okay, I've got to land and pick up the people. And it feels instinct like a, just one of those rescue, you know, rescue the dots games. And we've played loads of them before. But there is more to this. The aliens, the way the aliens upgrade themselves. So you're fighting the same alien. It's not like you're fighting waves of different aliens. It's the same alien that have an evolutionary plan. So they go from one thing to another. They morph into the different types, which is quite nice. The way you upgrade is quite nice. There's not lots of upgrades, but you have to wait for them and plan that. You can't tackle some of the later levels unless you've upgraded, which means you've got to spend some time collecting the RUs, which means you've got to work your way through and you can formulate a strategy. And you do not have to just go on the alpha level left to right. Of course, you can if you want to. You can work your way up and go through the different levels. And of course, if you go to the more difficult levels, you have to rescue more people, but you also get more RUs, and which means you can get you get more time and more money to then buy the equipment to then go back to the lower levels. So there's a, you can start to plan a strategy of how you do it. Do you take the risk of going into the difficult levels where you're going to spend more time potentially getting hit by the enemies and dying, but you do get the better rewards? Or do you sort of focus on the lower levels and try and sort of do it that way? It's not an easy thing to plan because... Sometimes in the lower levels, you'll collect enough people to go to the upper ones. And 
you just got to think very carefully about how you're going to do this game. It's quite nice. And that's not including the way that you have to land in certain places with your skimmer because you move around, you press your button, the skimmer's got to land. But, you know, if it's in mid-flight and something hits it, it's going to be destroyed. So you've got to think about where it's going to land and its safety and how you can get the colonists to that and things like that. There's a lot of nice details here. Um, so I, I actually really like this. It really surprised me. It wasn't a game I'd ever played and I'd only really heard of it more than played it as a kind of a almost a final hurrah from Braybrook and Co. I think if anything I was going to criticise, it's a little under-described in the instructions, but we didn't benefit from having the playthrough shown to us as it loaded in. And I think the instructions, if they do anything, they under-define the complexity a little bit. So it sort of explains it, but it just doesn't quite give it enough just so you can get a bit more into it. So you have to just spend a little time in there, but there is enough to keep you interested. And I think it's enough spit and polish here to be a really decent and a very well-designed game. I can see it being Marmite because I think some people will like it, some won't. It's latterly become something of a bit of a Braybrook classic and I enjoyed my time with it. There's an amazing interview with Andrew Braybrook about the game intensity in the December 2018 issue of Retro Gamer where he explains a great deal about how that game came to be, including its genesis in, in games like Morpheus and a few others and how he's taken some of those bits a real desire to not make a scrolling shoot 'em up but a single 50 frames per second experience with all the little different aspects of some games that he really wanted to put together. And then sort of some of the things that he sort of regrets, like the bouncing off the sides and things like that, as opposed to thinking of a better way. It's a great interview. I'll post it in the show. I'll post the link in the show notes. Genuinely surprised me this. I think on all balance of all balance of fairness, the 75% review in Zap's probably about right. It's not this isn't amazing. This isn't going to be a, one of those games. It is there are little faults with it. It gets a bit repetitive and things. But I, I, my experience of this as a first-time player was actually quite enjoyable. And I got quite a lot. I spent a lot of time in there and was working my way quite nicely across the, the levels. And I think I just got into the zone with it, which is, I think, the best thing you can say about it. If you get into these games, Braybrook tends to get you. And like Paradroid, you, once you're in that space, you're just kind of playing it and you sort of, you know, you really start to think about it. And I really liked it for that. So I don't think, I mean, that, Zap, I can understand why Zap gave it that review. I would personally have given it a bit higher than that. Um, but what did you think of it all? I think maybe it clicked with you better. It's another, obviously another game from Braybrook I was not really aware of. So I've never played this before. It's an, it's an odd thing, this, isn't it? It's, easy, it's something akin to like a puzzle arcade game because yeah, of that single it's, screen. It's, that was it's by design. That's by design. He wanted to make a 50 FPS puzzle game. Yeah, and it does. And you try to rescue the drones, a series of single screens. It does look very, very Iridium. It's like he's cut off chunks of Iridium and laid them, and that's that's the levels. So it's fair enough, whatever it is. So you're protecting your front landing craft with the flying one. When I first started playing it, I was just, I had no clue what I was doing. And I was pressing fire, and then my the drone or whatever it was would just land on me and kill me immediately. I was like, why is it killing me? And then I realized you have to press fire and then move. Um, so yeah. that, that twig to that, okay. I, and I agree, there seems to be a lot to this, but that's, you know, like there was with Morpheus and everything like that. But, and, and I've written what you've written. I think I found it a bit ill communicated in game. It doesn't yes. communicate its systems very well. And reading the instructions didn't really lead me any, any the wiser as to how this all kind of fits together. I also really didn't like the font in the game. I found the font quite hard to read. It's like really lent over. I was like, what? What's that saying? I just so for, it was a bit of a bugbear that I was trying to navigate those menu screens, trying to buy stuff, and having trouble reading it. I don't know what it was, but I didn't like the font. And there's just I don't know. There's there's little to give you actual feedback on what you're actually doing. Like you said, you play it. You, okay, there's little balls rolling around. And they go towards your lander, and you get them, and then that thing starts flashing. And you go land on it, or you put your put the lander, whatever it is, on there, and then it does the thing. And then that map of the level comes up, and you're like, okay, which one are we doing now? And then you're on another one, and it's similar sort of thing. And there's different ones, and there's hours floating around. There's stuff to buy. It's like just okay. I think, yeah, if you'd, 
we'd have had that tape loader, it might have been a bit more clearer as to sort of the steps as you go, you progress through it. It is very clear when you see it. Aren't it? So I just thought there's, there's a lot of clever stuff going on here at that state. But I did, I don't know, I did actually find the moment-to-moment gameplay a bit dull because I just felt like I was just flopping around to a different location and pressing fire and waiting for my thing and then looking for another one and going get that and moving the thing around. And, and, and it just didn't click with me. It didn't really click with me. Like something like Paradroid, clicked with me but this maybe i'll give it another go i don't know i did really like the front end music though the front end music is ace really unusual little piece of music and i, I did really yeah, like it's that. Good, that the presentation stuff is all there and it's smooth and it works very well and I, and I get all that it just it just didn't click with me this one and i think there's it's just a lack of feedback to the player which when i was playing it i didn't know if i was doing well or bad and i think that's maybe by design because it, it's, it's kind of open and it's up to you so it, it just felt a little bit i just found the, the gameplay got a bit rote quite quickly because i just felt like i was just flying around pressing fire and then watching that thing land and pick up people and then beyond that principally what you do yeah and that, that's what i mean and i wanted maybe a bit more like i wanted some shooting i think yeah he specifically didn't put the shooting in well i, I get it and i'm glad you liked it i think 75 percent i'd probably be, yeah be around about that because i think there's a lot of clever stuff here but i just i don't know i just found it i wanted a bit more it's, it's a, i think it's a marmite game it certainly didn't sell very well i mean it didn't do very well at all on its release um it no. says in the in the um in the retro gamer article at the end is like uh, well you know go off and enjoy it because nobody did at the time <laughs> so um you know he's quite he's quite you know got quite a lot to say about that i never really heard of it and i'm looking through the zaps and the magazines i've not seen many adverts for it or anything so i don't think it was no. particularly pushed very hard don't think the magazines treated it overly well either no i think it's it's don't know in the in you know in the world of armor lights and stuff right now this looks a bit maybe there's more there's a lot going under the hood but it's a hard sell this yeah, maybe it's a hard sell yeah, yeah. there you go that's intensity it is intense, but maybe eh, not for everyone. Uh, right, that's it. That's the uh, first part over with. Um, we're going to go away, take a break. We'll come back. We've got a lot of singles and albums to get through for November 1988. Actually, we've got a lot of compilation albums to get through. It's Christmas coming, but be ready. The compilation season is upon us. Um, so we'll see you in a little bit. In my books, I like to pay tributes to various games and the sports management game of the future, Slam Ball, that came out for the Amiga in 93, is a triumph in game design and gets an acknowledgement in my book, Starfarers and Tharnians in Space. He used gestures to turn on the screen and flick between movies in a violent football-like sport called Slam Ball, played somewhere called License Stadium. Players bashed each other in an effort to get their mitts on the ball. It seemed brutal, yet strategic. He found a news channel. Speaking from Rockefeller Plaza, the president advised that he would continue to stand against the Alliance of Iniquity. Yesterday, hundreds of thousands of anti-war protesters marched through Manhattan, reminding the president what happened to the last reoccupation fleet, which failed to wrestle Callon from Tharnian control. Deacon's eyes narrowed. From the audiobook, Starfarers and Tharnians in Space. Out now on Kobo, Audible, Apple and the Google Play Store. Find out more at davidhernwriter.com. And once again, we are back. We've got singles to get through for November 1988. Um, you've got a note here. Did you want to mention this note that we that we uh, overlooked yes. last time? <laughs> yes, apologize. I want to personally apologize to Jean-Michel Jarre and <laughs> to, to Hank Marvin. To you and I. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, because we blatantly didn't mention the London Docklands concert, which occurred over two nights in October 1988. We probably should have. been It was seen by over 200,000 people live over those two days, and it was the largest scaled concert um, ever seen in the UK at that time. I don't know if it's probably been superseded now a bit, but back then it was kind of crazy. Um, it did make, they did, ITV did show a, a cosy 53 minute edit of that two hour show, um, which you can view on YouTube. There's a, I'll put the link to the YouTube um, presentation on there, which is the one we watched and which is the one where he said, and now Yomiel Ya. That's the, the exact one. Unfortunately, person that clearly recorded that off TV and put it on YouTube didn't record it from Yorkshire TV because that Aww. is not it. What a shame. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it's, because Jean Michel Ja is an, a massive influence on almost every C64. Sid musician of a certain time period. So yes, definitely yeah, your, your Hubbards, your Galways, and all of that kind of Crow- that first Crowder, wave, if you like. Yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of wave of them. Because they for some point, they all did a version of Zuluk and they all did a version of yeah. different tunes of theirs. Um, so I just thought it was worth mentioning um, because we, obviously the album came out, didn't it? And that this was time to, co- to coincide with the launch of the album. And by the way, the final hilarious, not hilarious, I suppose, really, is that um, they had to put it over two days because of safety concerns. This was actually, it was all, it all took place. And when it says Docklands at this time, this is where the uh, Excel Centre is now in London. That didn't exist when this was there. It was just a big wasteland. Mm -hmm. It's actually where they filmed Full Metal Jacket. Um, But it was there all around that area, just complete wasteland. So they did it all there. Um, But um, the health and safety said, you can't have, you know, you can't have 200,000 people in one place in London. It'll be chaos. Chaos, all looking up and listening, listening to stuff. <laughs> if they were looking down, it'd be fine. So they had to spread it over two nights. Um, it was 100,000 people, at least that were there live, which is an incredibly large amount of people for any live performance of anything. The second night, which is the one they made the TV show from, it was at an absolute deluge. So it really heavily rained. Now, I can't imagine how nervous all those people were on that stage, surrounded by electronic instruments and lasers during a heavy <laughs> rainstorm. <laughs> I imagine there was a little bit of poo coming out every time when they were playing some of that because the water you see the water dripping off their keyboards and stuff. But it went ahead, and um, so I just thought I'd mention that because it's, it's yeah. quite interesting. And if you you, know, if you like Hank Marvin, he's there in a very bright jacket. I was going to say, yeah, Hank Marvin's jacket needs a mention. It's a, it's a yeah. thing. Yeah. It's so a thing just, of beauty. You know, we, we sort of missed it out, but we can't miss it. Really, It's quite important. Bah, no time. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, number one singles. One week. First week of the month was uh, still was Orinoco Flow by Enya. Orinoco. No. <laughs> no. I've still got some <laughs> lyrics here. Abi flu. Abi flee. Labi, labi, labi low. That's it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, actually, strangely, that's uh, actually more understandable than hers. Yeah. So, I know. Whenever yeah, they are. Orinoco anyway, it's in flow. there. For the last three weeks of the month, we were all indebted to Coca-Cola because for the Oof. first the first time was number one by Robin Beck. Yes. The one and only song that Robin Beck ever had a hit with in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know who she is or what she is, but there's so much backlight in that video. So much yes. backlight. Um and to be to be fair, I actually don't mind this song. I knew you'd <laughs> like that song. I bloody knew it. It t- it's ticks fine. your bloody it ticks it ticks every box that you like that song cheesy it's check. got a great chorus and build-ups that chorus is great i'm not gonna, gonna say those exact words yeah, i bloody you knew can't it, build it. Ch- you can't you can't knock it it's formulate rock done well formulaic is right i mean she sounds a bit like the woman that sang total eclipse of the ass um, <laughs> sounds a bit like that <laughs> poor old bonnie poor old bonnie bonnie's tyler i know it's your uh your kind of your thing i knew as soon as i heard it, i thought you're gonna love this 
Yeah. I just remember the advert, but I was like, oh. The advert's faster, isn't it? The advert's, it's, there's some yeah. faster in the advert. Um, well, it's got, you've got, only got 30 seconds to impress. Coca-Cola, for goodness sake. Big yeah. advert, that, isn't it? Big, it was you know, massive. Yeah, massive. and that's why this went to number one for three weeks. It was a huge advert this over is before the This was before the real thing, which before that was their catchphrase. That's how that's how far back that goes. Yeah, it does. Uh, number one albums for the first week, we had Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. The song that kept Mark Loughlin in strawberries. Not literally. <laughs> Um, although quite possibly he was able to have strawberries whenever he wanted for the rest of his life <laughs> and for every generation of Noffler. <laughs> mini not mini Noffler. Well, that's an ice cream. <laughs> um, chocolate, chocolate Noffler. I've made a little note here that a Noffler also sounds like some kind of unit of astronomical <laughs> measurement. So you could say the total energy released by the Andromeda galaxy is over 3 million Nofflers, which sounds kind of legitimate, doesn't it? It or does. an effect, once the star had reached its inertial mass, the Noppler effect ensures that their relative distance remains constant. It sounds, sounds like Doppler, totally legit. Yeah. Uh, or some kind of medical issue. Dennis suffers from Noffler syndrome, a rare condition that means he was born with transparent eyelids. You see, it all fits. It does sound like a scientific term. Noffler. Exactly. He's, he's been gifted with a name that sounds like a scientist. He should have invented something with it, shouldn't he? He should have. Hawkins has Hawkins radiation because he invented a type of radiation. He's, he had his, and Hawkins isn't a great name for that. That could have been Nofflers. Nofflers radiation. That makes more sense. It could have. And it needed some Nofflers scale. To, where you had to measure it as well. So you had to make a mark. Exactly. You had to make a mark on the Nofflers scale. Nuffler. <laughs> Very good. Yes. You had a device that measured the Nofflers. How many Nofflers are in it? Oh, quite a lot. It's a... <laughs> quite a lot. I'll, I'll just mark that down on the chart. My Noffler counter is quite high. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yep. yeah, instead of making like the noise from a Geiger counter, it makes like a twangy guitar noise when could, it goes it, off. Yeah, exactly. He was gifted with a name that should have been used for something <laughs> measurable. And in the end, he gave it to music. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, okay. for, t- for the next two weeks, we were back next with Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the next 13 Nofflers, um, not quite 14. There's a, a Noffler is one day and th- three hours. <laughs> and, and, and three knuffs. <laughs> you can either have a you can either have a nop or a fleur. I'll have half a nop and a quarter of fleur. Quarter of fleurs, please. Quarter. Uh, Minogue was back. Minogue. She is. She keeps coming back and forth. Yeah, it's going to keep bouncing around. It ain't going to do much, girl. I think, for the next few weeks, though, because coming in for the last week of the month was now. That's what I call music thirteen. We're nearing Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like November. <laughs> So you yeah. know what's going to happen. Every, it happens is. every year. You know what's going to happen. Yes, it's a joke on the other compilations. <laughs> you would sure, believe Connell. how we did it. <laughs> sure, Connell. We filled them all with, all the tunes are filled with gravy. Except they just, uh, they smother a little bit of uh, Stonehenge on each one. <laughs> just, you know, just be careful how you listen to it. Absolutely. Right, for singles, 6th of November, in at number 22 is Twist and Shout by Salt and Pepper. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like this. No. Oh, did you notice at the beginning drumbeat, it really reminded me of Hey Mickey. Yeah, because it's the same. That is the same. It's... I was like, I was expecting to yeah. go into Hey Mickey, you're so fine. Yeah, yeah, totally get it. I mean, um, it's a naff version of Twist and Shout. Ruins their street cred, if whatever that was for them. But it can't, I mean, when you're looking at that, you're going to lose all your cool by doing that, I think. Yeah, it's someone for me. Not for no. me in any way. I didn't like it. Um, no. Next song was, though, number 34, What Kind of Fool by All About Eve. Good song, actually. It is a good song, this. It's not on, it's, it's a, this is an inter-album song. So this Ooh. is not either on neither the first or the second album. It's only on a single release. I mean, I she's out. an amazing vocalist. There's absolutely no question of that. I think the production on an arrangement of that is actually, I mean, that could be down to the YouTube video that I watched, but it's, the production sounds, it sounds heavy and thumpy and it's, it sort of works counter to her voice. 
I'm just used to hearing her voice more ha- a bit bit higher in the mix and probably in Dobley. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Definitely that Dobley. Mixed, that, that wasn't mixed in Dobley, I don't think. Anyway, it just <laughs> felt that the production let her voice down a bit in that song. Um, yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just looking at the uh, track listing for the second album, which is Scarlet and Other Stories, which I really I like as, I like as a title, album title. Uh, um and it's definitely not on there and they've done the first album so yeah it's not on there it is good it's a good song but i, I see yeah. what you're saying I, I just it's got a big big nice build up and big big chunky chorus yeah. that's a good track number 41 is life's just a ball game by womack and womack mm, heavily influenced by rock the boat by the hughes corporation i think uh yeah i listened to it and i, I did hear that very much so there's a lot of good dancing in that uh huge corporation rock the boat video did yes, like the well, see, that's, that's a classic, isn't it? It's a disco hit. The Wormack and Wormack song, not quite my tempo. No, not mine either. In at number 44 is Radio Romance by Tiffany. Ooh, horrible this. Uh, it looks like an Amiga demo at the start. <laughs> it did look like an Amiga demo. <laughs> she is out of tune in that. I mean, badly out of tune. She can hear her voice straining. She's clearly, I don't think she's either. she was either very well when she sang it and, and did it, but she, she is out of tune in that. This yep. predates most of the auto tune stuff kicking in, so I think she, I think she's struggling there. And the production on the video is is just terrible. Yeah. Nah, nah, horrible. I will say though that there's plenty of Tiffany shoulder bounce on display. Yeah, she's doing all of that. You know, it's so like the Jimmy Somerville giddy bop and stuff. She's got the Tiffany shoulder bounce. Yeah, shoulder bounce. probably going to. It's probably killing her voice. It's, her voice sounds awful. You know, she's a, she's obviously a good singer, so there's something not right about that. Yeah, I don't think it's a good song, but there you go. Number 54, Sunshine on Leith by the Proclaimers. I don't <laughs> Picture. understand them. That's straight from the video as well. I know it is. I watched the video. Uh, I don't know. To me, it looked like they'd just ruined a nice morning in a cafe, turning up with the guitars and glasses and jumpers. It was like, get lost. Well, I wondered if they were just wearing cardboard masks of the Proclaimers. It's just two people. <laughs> it's like, um, you look now like them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tonight, Could Matthew, be that, couldn't we're it? going to be the Proclaimers. <laughs> His face has got literally no wrinkles or, or anything on it. It's smooth. It's been smoothed. It is. As has his hair. It's extended to his hair. It's just smooth. Well, they're, they're, not, that's, they're not these real glasses and nose. That's one of those fake ones. It can't be. It cannot be, can they're, it? They're out of a cracker. Big cracker, uh, but a cracker nonetheless. I mean, did they have any more than two hits, Proclaimers? I don't remember any. Maybe three tops? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Jumper, I don't know. Jumpers and denim. Bright yeah. jumpers and denim. That's all I remember from yes. that. Yes, yeah, bright yellow T-shirt in that. <sighs> oh, it's not a good jumper, is it? It looks it's like Buddy good. Holly was cloned. <laughs> and, then went, and then was transported through the Brundle fly transmitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that in that picture, he's got a guy growing off his shoulder. With another version of himself, which had yeah, also been exactly. cloned. Weird. So they got, they got double Buddy. Exactly. You just pumped out two... Buddy Holly's and <laughs> merged you know. into one, so it's like double Buddy. It's extra Buddy. I know, I know he was obviously drinking at the time. He slipped and landed on the Glaswegian button. He was like, "Oh damn it! I cloned <laughs> him in Glaswegian." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they might not be from Glasgow, by the way. Apologies to anybody from Glasgow. Well, if I think not. they're from Leith, aren't they? That's why it says uh, that's where they're from. I genuinely I the album "Sunshine yeah. on Leith." Oh, just lost all our Scottish listeners. Um, in at number eighty <laughs> is the microphone fiend by Eric B and Rakim. Good track, laid back hip hop. You gotta love it. Though. Yeah, nice. man. more your sort of thing. He clearly is on the verge of over Goldo. <laughs> when he walks in, then there's that massive gold pendant around his neck. I'm like, goodness me, that that is big. That's why the video is in black and white. The lens couldn't handle that much gold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's honestly, it's a wonder it done, that doesn't swing and break his neck. It must weigh <laughs> a ton. It, it, it was impossible to white balance this. <laughs> 
They just couldn't get <laughs> totally it. Because the white yeah. things. Like, ah, that's too much oh, shine. I've done it in black and white, for God's sake. I can't <laughs> cope with it. No. Uh, in at number 87, There She Goes by the Lars. There She Goes, yeah. This, yeah, this is one of those songs, isn't it? One of those songs. It, it seems to appear... All over time and space, it's like it's like I think Doctor Who. Someone's gone in and thrown it into the time vortex because it just pops up all over. It's sound of a weird indie anthem as by by it's in the top fifty indie anthems of one of the famous indie sort of you know press. As yeah, it were, yeah, it will be. Of, yeah, of course it will press. be. There's no verses in it. It's all chorus and a bridge, which is strange, isn't it, for a song? How it's constructed is weird. Yeah, always feels like it was recorded in a timeless vacuum. So it's just an odd, odd song because it pops up all over the place. Well, it's the theme tune. Mostly, it's the one I associate this with is uh, "So I Married an Axe Murderer." It's all the way through. That's it, way isn't it? later, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. is yeah. But, but this, weird. but this, this release of it goes nowhere. No one even notices it. No, and then they released it again a few months later. And I bet then it goes nowhere. <laughs> it's strange. Just I didn't think it got right. released this early. I thought it was early nineties. But as well, we're when I originally we're heard it, I thought the LA's was some sixties band when I very first heard it. <laughs> the How LA's, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's some rock band or something. Yeah, Maybe just look a bit Beatlesy and a bit. Ma- a bit you know, monkeysy, like, yeah. not like actual monkeys, but you know. But... No, I know what you mean. M- Mikey B and Pop T Jip, or whatever yeah, his name was, as, as opposed to a you know a load of man gorillas that had, you know, <laughs> took up instruments and, and gone to live with Charles Dance, as we discussed yeah. last week. Make him dance, dance for me, my monkey, my monkey children. Dance, <laughs> pray, pray for Mojo. <laughs> Play and dance your instruments. Dance with them. Dance for me. Dance, Colin. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm not dancing for you. Not since last time. Number 93, Put a Little Love in Your Heart by Annie Lennox and Al Green. Uh, You know what film that's from. I do. Good old Scrooged. Think of your fellow man. Do, 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 do. Put a little love in your heart. I love this. I, I really like this song in the film. Outside yeah. of it, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, same. Exactly the same. Yeah. But it in works the film, in that, it works in that really scene well. in that film. Yeah, it works really well in that scene, doesn't it? It's but. excellent, yeah. But it was just, I mean, this is going back to Ghostbusters and what's Ghostbusters and Flashdance, I suppose. This is just Hollywood. Hollywood is another avenue to make money. Release yeah. the hit song, get the hot, get the old 60s track, put it out, yeah. tie it to the film, done. It's just another one of them. And, you know, and it's yeah. another nod. Oh, it'll get, it'll get in the Oscars. So we can say Scrooge got yeah. nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, and Annie Lennox and go on, we'll go on stage and sing it live at the show. And Yeah, it's it's a marketing, it's a marketing tool massively, these things. Yeah. That's what they're for at this point. 13th of November, in at number 13, ironically, The Clairvoyant by Iron Maiden. <laughs> the bass guitar pick clacking is strong in that song. <laughs> it's the clacker reborn. It is. It's the, at the beginning bit where it's just the bass, it's very clacky. It's so it's clacky. Mass- Massively clacky. And when it changes for the verse, it's about as subtle as a bomb going off. <laughs> it's not subtle, is it? It's like, <laughs> just, he, Jesus. He may, as well, he may as well just shout, change. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what he does. It's his superhero power. Just rips off his, <laughs> he rips off his <laughs> denim outfit to reveal a, another denim outfit. I mean, it's it's probably a Maiden classic. I'm not, at this point, I'm, I'm very picky and choosy about the Maiden tracks that I like. Because I really like their early album. And then as it sort of progresses, I start to just like less and less of the tracks and the odd one here and there. This isn't on my list. It's all right. That's yeah. all their formulas though, doesn't it? It's one of his better, Bruce Dickinson's better tracks for his voice. It's off the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son album. It's not one of my favourite albums of theirs. I much prefer Power Slave to that. So No, and the problem is as well is that by this point, we've had Halloween come along and do this thing yeah. better, <laughs> as we saw with I Want Out, you know, and, yeah. and those kind of tracks. There's no doubt um, about it. And, you know, the, the, the smooth rhythm changes. Better musicians. Better musicians. They're just better. That, but Way better. They have much better. But they're you know, more classic, classically European trained musicians. <laughs> 
They come from the school of Malmsteen, you know. Well, they're they're of they're of that they're of that ilk, aren't they? There's the weird musicality yeah. to Kai Hansen's playing. He shows it when you later Gamma Ray albums. He's that he's got that kind of operatic tone to his to his playing. Which you, which is actually thinking about that. That's a good point because you could say that a lot of the European C sixty four music makers were more tunefully weirdly based in that sort of area as well you know your own your own tells and people like that they had a different feel to the sort of british people and you know the kind of the music that they did i think there's a there's something to that there is and at number 30 is nathan jones by bananarama horrible (laughs) this was really bad no one's enjoying it either no one in that no one even the backing dancers look bored (laughs) they look they do they look bored but this, I mean, Banana Rama themselves, including the new Banana, they all look like they're really, really hating it. They look like, honestly, look in their eyes. It's like pure pain. I love the fact you refer to it as the new Banana. <laughs> That's what they are. I've got a new Banana because, of course, one of the Bananas left, and there was the head of Banana replacement. Absolutely, you can't you can't just staple a, another Banana onto the bunch. I've tried that. It never works. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? No. no. And you can see how desperately they're trying to capture, recapture Banana Rama. It's a bit of a throwback to earlier Banana Rama songs. But it's about something meaningless. Robert De Niro makes sense. Nathan Jones, who the hell's that? Probably somebody famous, but I don't know. Anyway, he's been gone too long, apparently. Yeah, good. Good riddance for him. No one liked him. In at number 31 is Success by C. Sieg Sputnik. Ah, awful. Hate it. (laughs) Rubbish. Yeah, I don't know what this was. I do, he can, can, the thing is this, but I do seem to recall that old brown sauce like this. He was a C.C. Sputnik did have, fan. Did he have a sub spot? I don't, I don't remember know. him liking it. I think it, he but... might have done. He'll probably tell me he didn't, but I seem to have a recall for something that he might have liked yeah. them. He, he, possibly. Possible. I don't, I don't Something about that. him he may have liked. Good old brown sauce. And at number 43 is Love House by Samantha Fox. Sorry, <laughs> that should be Love House. Yeah, To totally. get the intonation um, right. Yeah, you have to, because you know, this is a house track that involved Sam Fox in a tertiary <laughs> wear. Yeah, on a I mean, telly. the actual house, the backbeat, and the hard lines, the, the the house part of it, all good. Really nice, really nice bass sound in that. Her parts, just a load of token vocal nonsense. Um, and she's just destined to be remixed out of that. The video, however, is a culturally appropriated nightmare of epic proportions. Um, I'm <laughs> sensing cultural sensitivity issues around her adoption of some of the looks in that video. In fact, not since Sean Connery has, was turned Japanese for You Only Live <laughs> Twice has someone looked so terribly naff. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do no. that. Don't ever do that. <laughs> no. I, I I mean, at this point, I really had no idea her record career went on for so long. I just didn't Dude, know. And she long. never got any better at it. Just worse song after worse. Just worse. Just, you know, no. you learn. Um, just dreadful. Trying these kind of jumping on these bandwagons to do something as well. Reeks of desperation. Yes, it does. Like, it absolutely oh, does. Terrible. Uh, number 50 is Sister Moon by Transvision Vamp. <laughs> song I'd be in stitches. It's so funny. I mean, they've, this is like, they've tried really hard to make a ballad. They tried hard. But it's the same chords that they always do with the same vocal patterns, just slower. It's yeah. just slower. <laughs> it made me laugh out loud. It was like, oh, really? Oh, dear me. So yeah. bad. It really sounded like they were chasing the primitives here. Yeah. But I noted that the song is actually four minutes long because it's just the same song that released it, just slower. So there's, there's not a, a different. It's the same chords. They're just playing it slower. Yeah, exactly that. It's and just, that will you know. So if you play a song slower, it will take longer. And there's a really weird bit at the beginning of the video, which for reasons I'm not, that aren't explained as far as I'm aware, she's dressed in a wedding veil, holding a baby. I think she's topless. I think. Anyway, I'm not sure what that's all about. Somebody had an idea, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Uh, number 83 is Cocoon by Time Rider. Your favourite. 
No, the pointy tune. Horrible. The pointy, <laughs> pointy, pointy tune. It sounds pointy. I was listening to it. It just is the word pointy. It's like, ding, ding, ding. It's like, ah, oh, pointy. Dee, horrible. Dee, dee, dee. It's total Italio disco, isn't it? It's the, it's that, it's, it, we didn't get a lot of it over here. It's sort of, it creeps in here and there. That's the one that became quite popular, but all that Koto laser dance stuff that Brown Sauce was into, that's all like that. <laughs> So, you know, if you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about, go and look up Dragon's Legend by Koto on YouTube. We'll put the link in the show I notes. I did look at that as well. And, oh, so, and that's that Dragon's Lair, you become the Dan, you know. And all that. But it's that kind of stuff. If you like that kind of thing, Gary was well into that. He loved it. And, you know, I quite like it. Time Rider Cocoon, not really my favourite one of them, though. It's all right. Not mine either. But it's the Hitman and her that made it happen, isn't it? So Yes, very much so. Number 89, There She Goes Again. By the Choir Boys. Strange, isn't it? We get a yeah. name of a song exactly, almost exactly the same. One that went very far and one that went nowhere. I, I was like, yeah. I looked at this video and it looked like somebody had raided Tom Petty's wardrobe and then fired the clothes <laughs> out of a gun at this lot. Boring, plonky yeah. blues rock. Yeah, it is crap. Video's horrible. Horrid. Horrid. Blurry video type effect they do. Nah, I hate it. Didn't like it, no. Crap song as well. Number 92 is Open Your Arms by Goodbye Mr. McKenzie. Yeah, not a bad song. Video wasn't very good. Just, again, more of that blurry, yeah. fast edited, you know, Quantile paint box crap type yeah, effect the, thing. I don't just, like it. Just cheap, but uh, it's a good band. You're a good band. It's a bit overlooked mm-hmm. at the time. They're kind of on the edge of goth at points. You can kind of hear a bit of sort of goth to them in places, but it's kind of in the same space as that House of Love and bands like that. They're kind of skirting around the edges of this kind of indie goth area. Uh, maybe Jesus and Mary Chain as well, but sort of a bit, this is a bit more rocky. Good vocals on this though. And some of his vocals at times reminded me a bit of a little bit of Neil Young, I thought. It's not a bad song. Not a bad song. Not a bad number in the chart. 92. Yeah, not <laughs> bad. For that kind of song. Yeah, for that kind of song from someone probably nobody ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. Um, 20th of November, in at number seven, is Left to My Own Devices yeah. by the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, I never liked that song, ever. <laughs> you didn't? So. No. You don't, you're not a big Pet Shop Boys fan, are you? Not particularly, no, but I don't like that one. I have to my, uh, I just don't like him. I don't like his boring voice. I probably won't. No, thanks. No, they can leave me to my own devices, thanks. Uh, in number 12 is Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. You like this. You like Michael Jackson, though. I was a massive fan of Michael Jackson back then, yeah. Um, this is probably my favourite Jackson track. I do really, really like this song. Uh, I think that bass line is just ace. It's just so good. There's no arguing with the production on that is is incredible. It's absolutely top draw production on that track. It's mind-blowingly good. So good. It really is. The video is really good as well. I mean, I know obviously Michael Jackson is problematic to speak about these days, but this, this, you know, I'm, I'm a whatever. This is an A song. I also, I mean, I even like the cover by Alien Ant Farm. I did a cover. Yes, again, that was very, very good as well. I mean, yeah, take, you know, take all of the crazy out of that. Look, just look at that as a snapshot of what was happening at the time. The amazing dance, the amazing production on the track. It's just, it's mind-blowingly good. It's at such, such a high level of stuff. Um, and of course, it's got that famous effect where he leans over, isn't it, in his dance. And yeah. by the way, just so you know, um, that's achieved with a good strong shoe heel and possibly a robot anchor fixing in the floor. I would suggest that's a 20 mil through bolt or a 20 mil chem fix. Just saying. Is that um, Wilson's? <laughs> you can take the boy out of Wilson's, but you can't take the Wilson's hey, out of the boy. If you want to know how these things are done, that's how they're done. How, do you know how it was done, by the way? Yeah, it was a, it was a little, little bolt in the floor that hooked into his heel of his shoe and then he could lean forward on it. All right, okay. Well, that's that's so, and I'm, that's, I'm not making it up. That just genuinely probably was a, a raw bolt, through bolt or a 20 mil <laughs> that, chem fix. That's, that, that part is true. It's not made up. 
All right, okay. I mean, I'll take your word for it. You could be selling me down the river here, but no, okay. No, you can, I'll, honestly, I'll you take your word for it. You, you can Google that. It's all out there. All right, okay. In at number 16 is Two Hearts by Phil Collins. Is it about Doctor Who, do you think, that song? Maybe. Is, is it um, the line about Gallifrey that gives it away halfway through? <laughs> Two hearts living in just one time. It's a, it's a Time Lord song. Singing together um, on Gallifrey. Gallifrey, do, 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 do. Um, very Motown. Not surprising, though, really, is it, since it's written by Lamont Dozier of Motown's Holland Dozier Holland, who also wrote Can't Hurry Love for the Supremes, which Collins also did a version of. So no surprise there that it sounds like that, really, when it's written by that. No, there we go. Probably I film like Buster. Nah, I don't like I don't like the film. I don't like Phil Collins, and I don't like this the, the robot version of him. So No one does. Number 18, Take Me to Your Heart by Rick Astley. Mm, crappy. Yeah. Very crappy. Yeah. As you've yeah. noted, he's always getting out of a taxi. Every single one we've seen so far, he gets out of a taxi at the beginning, isn't he? He's in his contract. He's got a contract with the, with the London cabbies. I mean, they're trying to show his sort of humorous, funny side in the video by it sort of being almost a making of, you know, he's having his makeup done and he's singing oh, and everything Oh, God, else. that bit where they throw coats at him and stuff and then <laughs> reverse it. And, they're, they're trying uh, to, I know, it's terrible. Never reverse footage. That doesn't work. It always looks stupid. Yeah. Um, I think it's the idea is to give him a sort of more dimensions as a person, but, you know, he might make a great omelette, but I'm not buying this record, Walkman. Not for you or anyone. Now, yeah. sod off. Yeah, he, he may have dimensions, just none of them are X, Y, or Z. And those are the only ones I'm interested in. Yes, if he's got anything in uh, any any other directions or dimensions, he can keep them to himself. Absolutely. Keep them uh, you know, down his pants. Number 19, Say a Little Prayer featuring Maureen by Bomb the right. Bass featuring Maureen. Yeah. Maureen, great singer. That, actually, great vocal on that track. Yeah, it is. Um, this is a cover of the Burt Bacharach and Hal David, Dion Warwick from the original. Um, yep. It's really good, this. It's a it is. Good, good, good remix, this. In, uh, he does play a mean pair of bongos in this, uh, or whatever those tall, tall drums are. It does. Called. I mean, it's it's easy to forget that Tim Simonon, um, a.k.a. Bomb the Bass, is one guy who does all that. Yeah. He, he does everything. Yeah, and, and the bongos as well. Guy is a bona fide genius at production. I mean, he invented, he's inventing a genre as he's going here. Crazy yeah. good. It's good Crazy cover this, good. but it's, it's hard to it's hard to muck this song up because it is so good. As long as you've got a good singer, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah put yeah. a good singer on this and you'll always be all right. Uh, yeah. Number 24 is Freaks, uh, which is a live, live version of Freaks by Marillion. Yeah, not my cup of tea. No. Sounded like early Gabriel Genesis to me. Yeah, totally. Actually, I got that vibe. Only without the inverse Mohican. No, sung by a scruffy tramp. That shot of him at the beginning of the video where he's just painted in combat paint. Yeah, exactly. It just woke him up woke him up from the dustbin <laughs> he was sleeping in so he could go on stage. Get him some bloody shampoo, for God's sake. Wash your hair. Oh, come on, fish. You stink like one. Come on, fish. Wash your hair. Wash your bloody hair, you stinky tramp. You've got a show to do. You're doing that song about yourself as well, freaks. <laughs> Get at number 30, Stack a Humanoid by Humanoid. What a great track that is it's alright yeah, I don't mind this okay absolutely brilliant described by the Guardian as the first truly credible UK acid techno record to break into the mainstream <gasps> wow um, it was not just influential clubs like Shoom in London but was championed by mainstream stalwarts such as DJ Bruno Brooks and producer Pete Waterman surprise surprise when it, they say it was championed it means it was on the Hitman and Her yeah exactly Nell Golliger said of the track this is a real quote what a f***ing tune Stacky Humanoid is. Man, a few words, isn't he? Good. Uh, but you can got to admire the, uh, you know, his conviction. Anyway, it's got samples from arcade games in it and it berserk in that, so. It has, yeah. Yeah, so it's a... Uh... Yeah. Humanoid, intruder, and of course, of course, the Roland 303 pumping out its acid trance sounds that would define <laughs> an entire genre. One of the greatest single inventions in techno music history. 
the Roland TB303 baseline. It is a powerhouse, absolutely marvelous, and I happen to own one. And I can tell you how amazing it is. So, in fact, I'm, I'm using it right now. I have it constantly on. I've got a backpack that I put on in battery powered, and I just walk around with my own bass sounds all this, the time. This episode was brought to you by Roland 303. <laughs> well, you can't get them now. They don't make them. They do the boutique version, and they do an Aria version. So, um, I mean, this one was big with people like us because it was like it's got arcade noises in it yeah so we were always going to get a bit giddy about that at the time because we didn't hear uh, it you didn't hear well it much used. stuff yeah and berserk, berserk was always berserk's you know sound effects are huge and trigger Loud. alert well it might yeah. very well be one of the first times game sounds are sampled in a house track as well yeah maybe I yeah you did, i didn't look into that but it could easy be if that. it was ever going to be anything it was going to be a berserk's eugene jarvis in it it's going to be a huge It is, of game. course. Yeah, you can tell. You yeah. can tell it's that's, loud. That's his doorbell sound. When you go there, you press the door. <laughs> Intruder alert. alert. Yeah. <laughs> Eugene, I told you to turn that off. <laughs> it can't be turned My off. My mum doesn't like it when she turns up and it says that. It's a, it's a Simpsons doorbell. Do, 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 do. How do we stop it? It can't be stopped. <laughs> yeah, because it's sold to him by Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the weirdest episodes ever where they go to the Super Bowl. Anyway, number 84 is California Girls, 1988 by Dave Lee Roth. Oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible version of that Beach Boys song anyway, and I like the Beach Boys one. This is a horrible yeah, song, yeah. and it's a really crude, unpleasant video nowadays. I mean, it, it was then. It's not very nice. It's just horrible. It's just David Lee Roth leching over lots of scantily clad women. Okay, it's the rock and roll thing, I guess. But even by 88 standards, it's unpleasant. It's yeah. not nice. And if you fast forward, if you, it reminded me of uh, that Kid Rock. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally. Kid Rock vibes on this. And I've, I've linked to the video there from the, the uh, what's the one? Which, Sweet song, which, which Kid Rock is it? Yeah. It's, it's God, Sweet Home Alabama. so bad. It is. And yeah, it's ripping off Sweet Home Alabama, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's a cover of Sweet Home Alabama. But it's just, the video is just lots of girls in bikinis constantly. And it's like, oh, man. In at number twenty, oh, sorry, twenty seventh of November. In at number two is Cat Amongst the Pigeons, Silent Night, Comfort <laughs> Christmas, Christmas Double Bill by Bros. No, awful. Yeah. Sounds like he's channeling badly channeling Michael Jackson. What an awful song. It does. Uh, what a dreadfully dull thing this is. As a, and has a Ooh. pop star ever given a worse performance in a story video? No, he's really bad in it. So bad. There's so, so much bad. smell the fire acting. It's awful. Yep. Oh, it's terrible. Bad. It's like he's being operated. And not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. His brother's just got his fist up him. Yeah. <laughs> Dark turn detected. Dark turn detected. <laughs> intruder alert. Intruder alert. That's what he was saying that's, a lot of. That's his personal attack alarm. At the time. <laughs> Watch out, intruder. Lock out, intruder. It's the last time he's buying a personal attack alarm from Stacker. <laughs> uh, number seven, Mistletoe and Wine by Cliff oh, Richard. God, it just gets worse. <laughs> God, this song, it's haunted Christmas since this year, hasn't it? Since 1988. Yep. Oh, my Lord. I, I, the thing is, I've heard this song so often that, it, I mean, I'm just inured to it. I'm just, it's just, I, I just, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, so, okay, whatever. So when I listened to it, obviously for this, it was like, yeah, it's Mistletoe and Wine by Cliff Richard. It, I can't hate this as much as some of his other stuff. But oh. it's, it's just part of Christmas now, this. It is. It just, you know, he knew it was, he knew what he was doing. He released this annual dog turd, didn't he? On a it's better than anything else he's done Christmas. Christmas rubbish like Saviour's Day and crap like that. Oh, the, the Lord's Prayer that he sang that time. Yeah, rubbish. Um, it, I mean, it's not offensive unless you're not of the Christian faith. And then I suppose it just has no meaning really, does it? I, oh, I guess so. 
Christmas yeah. time, mistletoe and wine, children singing Christian rhyme. Not everyone's a Christian, are they, Cliff? So not everyone's going to be doing that. Let's let's open our hearts up a little bit to the diverse <laughs> cultures of the world here. Yeah, but it's, that's a bit hard to fit into a you know a nice four by four stanza. He managed the Lord's Prayer in there, didn't he? <laughs> that's and he did worse. that to old, he did that to old Lang Syne. Yeah, let's so, not speak about that. Anyway, um, it's a general reminder of what Christmas is about, isn't it? From in the view of Cliff Richard. I always imagine this as a perfect song in a horror movie, like Hostel, for example, in a really gratuitously gory scene, sort of echoing around the torture chamber while someone screams as their ankles are sliced off. That's, you know, but it's also, you know, dysentery and wine, hasn't it? That's what it's become known as. Yeah, dark turn, dark turn, detected. Dark turn, detected. Um, I did notice a couple of things. Right at the very beginning, the girl looks scared at the, be- at the very beginning because she's Cliff Richard peering in through the window. Yes, um, exactly. Oi, Richard, bog off. Also yeah, as well, she should shout that. there's a shot there from the video where he's, he's actually holding a candle. He picks up a candle, a tea light, and he's very brave holding a naked flame near, near hair, that lacquered. Yes, he is. And, um, you know, that still you've grabbed there. <laughs> I've had to fight the urge to Photoshop that. I mean, that is the perfect throwing a skittle into his mouth hand, isn't it? Or popcorn. I mean, that's like it's just it's, honestly, it's perfect. I did. Yeah, you couldn't have, you couldn't have freeze framed that 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 better. We'll have to post that picture somewhere in our show notes so you can see it at some point somehow. Or either that, or that the tea flame is really hot. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. ah, I won't pick this up for. Yeah, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Oh dear. Yeah, so he go. looks quite young there. He's actually two hundred years old. He do- um, <laughs> yeah, he, do- he does. Well, see, his the ridges on his forehead though are they're just like that. The final thing I was trying to figure out because you snap, you took this picture right, you screen grabbed that. I did. I've been trying to figure out which what digit, what that thing is that's near that candle. What is it? I mean, <laughs> it's, is it a finger? It's his is thumb. it a thumb? It's his is thumb. it though? Is it, it looks. T- it doesn't look like it. It looks like, honest to God, it looks like. I'm not sure what that is. It could be anything. <laughs> It's his thumb. That's that. It could be someone else reaching up. <laughs> it could. Well, I haven't seen the video. I know it's his thumb, but it yeah, does. But yeah, but it you could, know that. But that still, that could be anything. That it could, could be, be the thing a, from uh, Basket Case or Brain Dead. That could be a dog's lipstick. For all we know, dark turn detected. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> dog's got his lippy on and he's going ah. No, Christmas that, time. Time. Dog lippies and wine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's not Christmassy not Christmassy at all <laughs> no let's move on uh, number 24 Kissing a Fool by George Michael boring boring, yeah, very boring boring very boring number 34 Burning Bridges On and Off and On Again by Status Quo I got dizzy watching that stop spinning gosh so yeah. dizzy boring song not quite the quo I like but no you, you know. can tell they paid for a circular dolly track and by god were they going to get their money's worth not, not just their money's worth they've got they make sure they film the actual dolly track as well as the then the footage from the <laughs> yeah, thing spinning two, and spinning round two, and round two cameras on it Oh, it's nauseating, that video. It's spinning, spinning. Yeah. Uh, number 42 is You Are The One by Aha. Uh, I didn't quite know what to make of that. It's always, it's nice. No, they look like they're off to a nice night out at the Italian Affair. <laughs> they do. Actually, it's restaurant, <laughs> isn't it? The Italian Affair, yeah. they do. In 1988, like, just, it would have been. All the previous ones have been kind of a different version of Aha, and then seem to have suddenly reverted back to the version that did um, take on me. Yeah. So, some, someone, some, someone clicked and they just were suddenly back there again. It's very, it's very weird that they're all sort of Dancing about in sailor outfits as well. A little bit of an homage, isn't it, to um, to the sort of musical? What's oh, it yeah. called? Um, um, West, not West Side Story. West Side, um, is it no, one New of York. Them? It's not New York, New York. Well, it is the New York. It is one with New York, New York in it. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't what it's no, I can't either. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, number forty-four is the last beat of my heart by Susie and the Banshees. 
weird, good track, good vocals, decent video, but it is hard to know what to make of Suiting the Banshees this iteration, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit, goes on a bit this song, I thought, just without really getting anywhere. Yeah, it's kind of an odd ballad and the video is just almost a one shot of just, you know, slowly pulling away from her at a window. Yeah. And finally, number 75 is A Day in the Life, Warlock by Black Riot. Yeah, one for the Acid Brigade, that one. Is it? I didn't actually look at that yeah. one. I must have missed that one. Yeah, it's it's one that goes... Just listen to it. It's, a, it's an acid house track, actually. Okay, fair enough. Take your word for it. Right, albums, 6th of November. In at number three is Greatest Hits by The Human League. Featuring all the hits you know that will be on it. So it's Mirror got, Man. Um, do you, don't You Want Me, Baby. Yeah, Don't You Want Me, Mirror Man. Um, don't You Want Me, <laughs> Mirror Man. There's another couple on there. I can't remember the names of them. But there is. There's loads on there. There's loads of tracks on it. But I imagine there are. Those are the ones you remember. But those are the ones you'll remember. Yeah. And so. at number 20 is The Hit Factory Volume 2, Various Artists. Yeah, right. Various various shit artists from The Shit Factory. These are all getting out before now that's what I call music Correct. lands. It's like, get get these yes. out quick. Get yes. them out. And they're also some of those are also ones that have been played on rotation on The Hitman and Her. Yeah, exactly. Surprise. Number 21 is the Premier Collection by various artists. I wasn't sure if this was a collection. I couldn't find it because there's that many things called the Premier Collection. There was hundreds of them. Who knows? I found one that had been released by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Let's hope it's that that one. Um, Number 54, I Am Curious Orange by The Fall. Aye, post-punk. Yeah, their 11th 11th studio album. Good lord. Apparently it was intended as the soundtrack for a ballet. I Am Curious Orange. Mm. Number 82 is Reach for the Sky by Rat. That album the album cover. cover for this is just stupid. <laughs> it's off the charts. I mean, we're going to have to, inv- I think we're going to have to almost, we almost need a new, you know, I don't know what we call them, album cover terrors. I don't know what this was. This one has got a, it's hard to describe it actually. I just envisaged that when the band described this to the designer, um, they said they wanted witches, wizards and wicker scares. And what they've got is a statue and a wicker chair. <laughs> <laughs> with a hand reaching out, which I can't actually make out from which part of the body. I can't angle it because I can't. Is he lying? Is that is he bending that his arm up or is he down? And is that the lower part of his body going? I can't work it out. I can't work it out. There's a woman dressed in a statue with what looked like goggles, like eyeglasses on. It's an like aeroplane. steampunk goggles. Is that an aeroplane? Just, yeah, there's it's a, an aeroplane. There's a book. Weird. There's a badly photoshopped moon. A, or is that, that an earth? It's a calendar, is it? Or I don't know anyway. I don't know what it is. But it's just a collection of crazy crap. Also, it, this does look like... So it looks like... I'll tell you what it reminds me of, actually. If you ever ask students, level three students, to produce a... Mood board. Mood board. It's a level three student's mood board. Yeah. Yes. So it's a nightmare. That's what it is. It's a nightmare yep. to some. 13th of November, in at number three, is the Memphis Sessions by Wet, Wet, Wet. Compilation album. Cover's a bit odd, isn't it? <laughs> you photoshopped that. I have photoshopped nothing. <laughs> That's, uh, that is knee neck. He just decided that he was going to just embrace his, the length of his neck. Looks like on that su- cover only, it's the full thing. It looks like it's been superimposed on a giraffe. <laughs> People have said that, but it is actually, in fact, that's his real neck. So... And at that particular moment, he's probably digesting a large what's-it as we speak. <laughs> Which you just take it in one foul swoop. Exactly. From, so, from, you know. from all the man, other band members' bags, that's why they look so down. Exactly. We'll post the, you know, maybe post the picture. Somehow we'll post Somehow it. Somehow we'll try. So. Uh, in at number five is Private Collection by Cliff Richard. Yeah. And my question here is, what a collection of what? Merkins, dandruff, skin tags, <laughs> fingernails, left foot shoes, mittens, teeth? What? <laughs> no one knows. No one it's knows. private collection. I don't know, but number six, we've got The Ultimate Collection by Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. Collection of what? Breads, toothpicks, <laughs> eye bogies, dead wood lice, hooks, used tights? No one knows. 
It's, no one knows. it's the ultimate collection. Uh, <laughs> but at number 17, we've got the greatest hits of 1988. No it's more just, of these hits now. It can't help it. Number 22, Anything <laughs> For You by Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine. Oh. Come on, baby, dibby dabby do that conga. Yeah, I'm going to dibby dabby do that conga. Woo, I'm going to dibby dabby do that conga. Come along and dibby dabby do that. Yeah, that. It's like she's in the room. I, I, I like to think I do a good Gloria Estefan impression. You do. Number 20... after, after, the, after a sixth pack of cigarettes. <laughs> At number 27 is Green by R.E.M., the sixth studio album. I had tuned out of R.E.M. at this point. I don't, well, I'd never tuned in at this point. <laughs> no, well, R.E.M., I never liked them really, but this is a... They changed record company, haven't they? So you know, this is a this is something else altogether. I think. Yeah, yeah. This is where they left IRS because they said that they weren't thinking promoting them well enough. Went to Warner Brothers, and as we know, mm. they would promote them quite well because they're about to become massive. Yep. REM. Let's face it, they're about to become huge. Number seventy-two yep. is a whole lot of shaky by Shaking Stevens. <laughs> the title of that made me laugh my head off. Whole lot of shaky. Pun title. That's his only defence for that. Everything else is an assault on the brain, the eye, and the ear. The cover contains way too much denim, though, and too many bulges in that denim. Uncomfortable places to have bulges in that. <laughs> yeah. The shadowing's all wrong. Don't put the light there. Somebody's uh, somebody shaded that badly <laughs> with the uh, Warhammer paints. They have, haven't they? It's, uh, it's been too much dry brushing on that. Way too much. Um, they said um, That said, that uh, denim that you see there, that's actually his skin. He dyes the flesh colour into those areas. That's his hands, face, neck balls and ass cheeks not his cock though keeps that pure denim um, <laughs> as, the, as he does the rest of his body um, hence his fusty dirty rainwater smell and devastating fear of tumble dryers yeah I mean I can't argue <laughs> with any of that um, we'll post again that picture of the album cover or a link to the album cover so you can see it a whole so lot of shaky see, see wonder how much it is it. we can't make out the uh, the price on that sticker I'm reckoning like 40p <laughs> it's not going to be expensive is it Gary would buy it from a uh, from a charity shop yeah, and is he is he with Converse? I mean, I bet Converse looked at that and went, oh, Christ, we're never going to sell any now. <laughs> he is wearing Converse. Oh. But just so much denim, denim and belt. So much denim. Denim and brown. <laughs> you, you remember them. <laughs> <laughs> he must have the, I bet he's got denim aftershave on in that. Of course he has. There's a woman's hand about to come out that jacket. 20th of November, <laughs> number three, Wanted by Yaz. Anyone want this? Yeah, no. Well, obviously did, got number hits. three. <laughs> you remember them. Yeah, well, she had one. One of them only came out last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chill out, Yaz. Um, Get in before Christmas. Number 15, Get Even by Brother Beyond. Oh, dear. <laughs> Terrible cover on that. Low polyism. They cast no shadows. They don't. Well, there is no shadows. <laughs> that's because that's, that's his arm. But the, the same light is above them, and it's casting... A big light imprint on the wall, but they've got no shadows because they've there's got no they're shadows. just projected. Their their faces are projected onto flat spaces. Because <laughs> yeah. there's no shadows. Because it's just low polyism. They're about to exactly. run around. They're about to run around the uh, statue level of uh, Goldeneye. Exactly. <laughs> they've got monopoly faces. So <laughs> terrible, terrible. Yeah. Even the Unreal Engine Five can't help them. No, but, it cannot. Uh, by the way, the album spawned a fifty-seven minute live concert. Fifty-seven minutes, cozy. Well, to be fair. <laughs> That's four minutes longer than Jean-Miel Yar got. Number 54 is Wrapping the House by Various Artists. No. No one cares. Once in a Lifetime is at number 61 by Runrig. Really odd they are, aren't they? Yeah. His, his voice is very honky, not in a 70s black exploitation film way. No, it is a bit. They're a bit, yeah. I, I, I hear Runrig every now and again and go, uh, and then instantly forget them. <laughs> 
just just one of those bands. Number sixty-two. There are always the, the reason I'm I'm aware of Run Rig more than anything is because I was always looking for Rush albums in record oh, fairs. In record fairs. So you'd have Run Rig because it's R U N, and then Rush but R U S. So yeah. they always be right next to them. That's why I know about Run Rig. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, number sixty-two is Dance 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 by James Last. <laughs> Album cover of the year winner. That <laughs> it's good. It's absolutely hilarious, that cover. What tracks are on it? you got You Win Again, Frankie, Reap Petite, Saving All My Love For You, The Power Of Love. How can you dance to The Power Of Love? Either dance, version. Dance, dance, I don't know. He manages Unless it three Unless it's The Power times. Of Love by um, Huey Lewis in the news. Could be. I'd like to hear his version of So Macho, though. I want to hear him doing Heaven Is A Place On Earth. I hope he does the uh, Belinda Carlisle grunts. <laughs> well, you don't sing, does he? It? It's all orchestral music. No, oh, it is, Orchestral isn't it? synth, yeah. isn't it? So... That's what he looks like. I always wonder what James Last looked like. And as it turns out, he looks like a, a lost uh, um, Chuckle brother, doesn't he? Got caught by, challenged by Panorama for some nefarious deed. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Last, is it true that you siphoned off all the oil from Brian Ferry's bath and tried to sell it as a homeopathic anti-aging tonic to the folks on the Isle of Wight? Imagine that being the like question. A, look at that glass in that door. That's just like any old door, isn't it? That's anyone's door. It's not a famous person's door, that. <laughs> well, it's not his house. It's anyone's door. <laughs> someone else is yeah, coming out it's got one of them wiggly glass things that you saw in those doors at, you know, back in the 80s yeah the as sort well. of those circle things where you'd like to look yeah. through and get a weird view of the you world know, on the Georgian yeah. glass you had one pane that was kind of you know weird wiggly glass and you had one that was like kind of like a ripple effect it's really weird it really is weird, weird. Uh, number 82 yeah. is The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics not a fan of that band at all or him Anyway. No, Mike Rutherford in it from Genesis. 27th of November, in at number one. Now that's what I call Music 13. Of course it is. Spoken about that. Well, it will stay now for a while. It will. Uh, number 11 is The Delicate Sound of Thunder by Pink Floyd. Mm, live album. Recorded over five nights at the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Ooh, five nights. And then later mixed in Abbey Road Studios. Now here's an interesting thing for you. Um, mm -hmm. Although David Gilmour stated around the time of its release and on a radio interview in 1992 that the album contained no studio overdubbing whatsoever, he actually embellished the tracks during mixing with some extra acoustic guitar and Comfortably Numb, according to the engineer Buford Jones. In addition, some harmonies were replaced by studio retakes. Richard Wright did redid his vocal on time, and Sam Brown replaced Rachel Fury's part in Comfortably Numb. But the rest of the album is performed as is. And uh, there's, there's a picture of Dave Gilmore's washing line. His pants uh, yeah, are indeed on fire. Are, they are on fire, yes. Liar, <laughs> yeah. liar, pants on fire. You can't say that. No, we did uh, no. Um, there has been no overdubbing whatsoever, apart from all the overdubbing we did. <laughs> apart from that, that's spinal tap level of stupidity. We did no <laughs> dubbing, it? apart from we uh, replaced the vocals, <laughs> cut air out, did this, re-recorded re that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a studio album, to be fair. It's just a studio album. Yes, you can see yourself in both sides. <laughs> uh, number thirty-four, "Till I Loved You" by Barbara Streisand. My mum loved Barbara Streisand. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not struck on her. No, I'm not. She's a she's more of an effect now than a woman. Yeah. Um, and finally, number fifty five is the best of Art of Noise by the Art of Noise. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Art of Noise. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's it. That's the music. It's all getting a bit compilationy, and I'm sure December will probably be it's even beginning worse. To that look a lot like compilationness. Yeah, it really is. You can. I mean, you can notice it. It's, in every store. It's getting worse every year. Yep. It's really getting worse in the, in the way that the sort of record studios is just pumping compilations about November, December, plus the Christmas market. It's getting yep. worse. The, you know, the onset of now and the hits, they're just changing the music charts. Yeah. And you can see it over time. If you listen to these music sections, you can see it over time. I mean, you even get later down the line, you get best of, best of. So, you know, it's going to end up in crazy territory. Yeah, true. Yeah, right. Um, we're going to take a break. 
um, after all that music. And we're going to come back. We've still got four more games to get through. Some good, some not so good, but as ever is the case. So we'll see you in a short break. Bye. If you are looking for a murder mystery cyberpunk thriller noir story where you're never going to see the end coming and the characters Isadora and Moroz drive the action, then look no further than my book, The Case of the Notorious Roboticist. Moroz wore his game face. You really think I'm going to help you? I know you are. I've been set up, you see. He folded his arms. Not yet. Before we start, I'm sorry about your sister, Miranda. It was a terrible accident. Do you really think so? If you win, I'll tell you a secret about that. The Case of the Notorious Roboticist. Grab the audiobook, cheap as chips, from Kobo, Audible, Apple or the Google Play Store. Find out more at davidhernwriter.com. And we are back. Still got four games to get through. So let's waste no time and let's get straight in. Graham, there is a red storm rising. So tell us all about it. Yes, obviously published by Microprose Software, the heavy weight of Microprose releases. Designed by Sid Meier, though, and Arnold Hendrick, coded by Sid Meier, Richard Orban, and Silas Warner. And graphics were by Murray Taylor and Max Remington. Good name. Remington Steele. And the musician was Ken Lagas, or Lagace, or Lagas, depends how you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. This is heavy stuff, isn't it, this? Um, not just in <laughs> terms of its content, but in terms of the weight of the box, with all of the stuff in it. Goodness me, mm. we weighed a ton. Uh, a game based on the 1986 Tom Clancy novel, the same name. Or let's say based around, not based upon as such, but based in, around, of. In Tom Clancy's 1986 novel, Red Storm Rising, the world is plunged into a tense geopolitical crisis when the Soviet Union launches a surprise attack on NATO forces, sparking a global conflict. The story follows a diverse cast of characters on both sides of the conflict, from American naval officers to Russian submarine captains, as they navigate the complex web of military strategy and political manoeuvring that defines modern warfare. As the war escalates and both sides suffer devastating losses, the fate of the world hangs in the balance. The novel explores the human cost of war and the sacrifices made by those on the front lines and back home. It also delves into the intricacies of military technology, tactics and strategy as both sides seek to gain the upper hand in the conflict. Throughout the novel, Clancy weaves a complex and gripping narrative that keeps readers on the edge of their seats from intense naval battles, take note, and daring covert operations to political negotiations and high-level strategy sessions. Red Storm Rising is a masterful portrayal of modern warfare and the human experience of conflict. Dun, 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 dun. Heavy stuff. Indeed, Tom Clancy writes the preface for the 106-page instruction manual, which is the <laughs> second book in the Red Storm Rising series. <laughs> yeah. um, there he spells out how submarines really work in the context of sea battles, essentially a game of hide, strike, and vanish. In this game, you are the commander of an American SNN, a nuclear-powered fast-attack submarine. The preface is full of devastating submariner facts, in-depth notions and deeper stuff about torpedoes, tactics and stuff. And pretty scary. And so let's dive into the game because that's kind of the world we're heading into. So this is, of course, a submarine simulation game. Um, In the game, the player takes on the role of USS Submarine Commander, tasked with patrolling the waters of the North Atlantic during the fictional Cold War conflict, as stated in the said book. 
Um, the gameplay involves managing the submarine's crew and equipment, monitoring sonar readings, and engaging in tense battles against enemy submarines, surface ships, and aircraft. The player must balance the need to complete mission objectives with the need to convert, conserve resources such as fuel and weapons, especially torpedoes. The game features detailed graphics and sound effects and includes a variety of realistic submarine models and naval vessels. It also includes a multiplayer mode, allowing players to compete against each other in a submarine-to-submarine combat situation. That's quite nice, quite interesting. Mm. Never done that, though. Never done it. The game comes with a (laughs) detailed technical supplement, a complex keyboard overlay, and, of course, an in-depth operations manual. And when I say in-depth, this is MicroPro's in-depth. So it's also technically the way you can learn to pilot and navigate a nuclear submarine for real. <laughs> yes, yeah. You start the game, you go through the pretty foreboding and mood-setting intro sequence, quite nice. Everything in this game, it's, it's important to note at the start, everything in this game is deadpan serious. Everything. Yes. Everything about mm-hmm. this is serious. Everything. And at the moment, this moment in time as well, it's kind of weirdly compelling to have a, this kind of this kind of game. It's kind of timely, to say the least, to be playing this at this time in this awkward kind of world we're in at the moment where mm-hmm. there is a lot of this tension. So it sort of felt weird playing it, I have to say, because of that a little bit. So... You start the game, you go through that, say, that foreboding sequence at the beginning with this really doomy kind of music, and then you start to select from the inevitable array of options and parameters that will be used to create your campaign you intend to play. This works a lot like a lot of the Macroprose games, so there's a lot of upfront selections of things that create the parameters for the campaign, of -hmm. which there are a whole plethora of options, and I mean loads. Yep. Loads. And I haven't got time in this review to go through them all. It just just understand that it goes from easy to incredibly difficult, all the different vehicle types, all the different combat simulations, and each one of the, I guess you'd call them levels, there's multiple factors involved. So there's different time periods. In that time period, you get different kinds of mission because certain things did or didn't exist. We've been through this kind of level of detail before with the Pirates game, and yeah, that Pirates yeah. game had that kind of historical setting. And so the little, there's a lot of that kind of logic. You can see Sid Meier's influence heavily in that beginning part so you create the Mm -hmm. not just the parameters but the world of the conflict that you're about to head into the manual strongly advises you in fact to start with the introductory campaign i would not just strongly recommend it i would suggest that that's exactly what if you've never played this or you've not and i hadn't really played this before because i never actually i had it believe it or not but i never had a working version of this ever it always crapped out at a certain point because it was just one of those sort of games Anyway, um, so you start off with the introductory campaign. So you can the idea is that you can you do that to get to grips with the multiple screens or the controls and all the various requirements. It's an in because you need to learn this game. This is complicated stuff in this game. Above all, really, you'll need time to digest the information from the manual and slowly work your way through the game. It is complicated. So all the good stuff that you would expect out of something like this is not going to come immediately. This game will pay off if you take the time to learn it. That's crucial fact number one this is not a plug in and play game at all in any stretch nope. of the imagination no so if you're expecting that steer clear of it because it's not that at all quite the opposite this is a close quarters paranoid game you'll find yourself playing this game quietly you will as you play it you will find yourself quieting down listening it's a game that's principally around the notions of taking note of auditory cues visual cues and just you find yourself concentrating play in this game and that's quite important mm-hmm. as well so you start the with by selecting the year which kind of frames the time and the difficulty and as i've said also sets the parameters of what's available to you at that time 1992 is recommended as the start point for the sort of introductory level it says in their blurb russia's first nuclear aircraft carrier appears while the west adds sea lance missiles and stinger masts so you've got those things that you'll have if you went to the time before that which is i think 1988 or one of those or 1980 something you don't have sea lance missiles and you don't have stinger masts. 
that's the kind of way it plays out. Mm. From there, there is obviously the the obligatory ID test where you've got to thumb your way through the manual to find the <laughs> yeah. find me a you know an X fifty six class you no know, nautical submarine with a you know or whatever. Find you find that, and then um, after that, um, you can enter your name. Of course, Commander Calibos was back from so his long time sea voyages. So Commander Calibos strikes back. Then you pick your boat. Obviously, there's a recommendation in the instructions. It's nice that the instructions have a sort of a start like this for the easy in. Yeah. Um, so I I chose the an improved Los Angeles class nuclear attack sub, which is what it recommends. There are five other options there. There's a permit class, a sturgeon class, Los Angeles class, and a Seawolf class. And then the other option, which is actually a really nice one, is one that you get assigned a class to give extra realism. So you're assigned one. So you, it's like, you know, one any one of those it could be. I quite like that if you really want the real experience. I got my details. Then after that, I was to command a Los Angeles class USS San Juan. That was the name of my ship. I didn't name it. That's the one it gave me. Exciting stuff. Loading in between isn't actually that obtuse either. Most of this is use the joysticks to select an option and press the button. So you're just going through those. You're not even into the game yet. This is just selection the options, of which there are a lot. So once you've got that, you then choose your challenge level from introductory, normal, serious, and ultimate. Ultimate comes with a warning. Basically, you will die is the warning. <laughs> um, you know, t- just expect to die, essentially. Obviously, I chose introductory. Then you choose your training action, which is submarine. But there's also a whole bunch of training actions, such as versus a submarine, versus a class destroyer. There's battle simulations. This is just the introductory set. So a duel, the cruise missile sub, the wolf pack, the boomer bastion, a convoy. There's even you can even start to play World War Three in the Atlantic as the Red Storm Rising game. You can play that if you want to at the introductory level. These are all introductory scenarios you can play through if you want to, and that's just on this set of parameters. You can imagine, change those, you get all the different different simulations and things. The incredible range of options, and the game does really change for all of those. So it's not the same game. You're not playing the same parameters at all. Yeah, quite important to note that. So. I, I can only describe the version of the game I played on the options I chose. You know, but get, feel free to download the multiple versions and explore it yourself if you're into this stuff. You get a bit, a little an introductory animation, of course. There's a lot of that in between the little bits, little, almost little mini cutscenes, really. And then um, you get your orders, and then you're into the game. It follows the same kind of ops, like I said, the same kind of option loaded beginning as all the MicroProse games. Loads of options. And this is a game that you can therefore play in hundreds of different ways and get a completely different experience. There are cutscenes, dialogue, interactions. There's a good game, um, a good blend of, uh, I think, of strategy and cinematic storytelling in here. The, this, this cutscenes feel either situational or scenario-led, but they sort of all work in context. Everything's in context. Everything is dead serious in this, and it plays out over a specific time as well. So once you, uh, once you go through all of these screens, the game begins, and then you'll get to sound. You get to choose. You're on a sonar screen. The enemy is approaching, and you're given three options. You, know, you can prepare for battle, or you can you know, compute a log or whatever you want. I decided in general quarters, prepare for battle. Let's engage the enemy. I had a ship approaching me, which I needed to sink. That was my mission. So then you get to the readouts in the game. All the details are sort of, te- some of the details prior to that are reported and kind of a text. And then you'll get your tactical displays of which there's quite a few. And then you get some engine noises. You're on screen. You get to, there's all the F keys will give you different screen options and they vary between tactical displays, sonar analysis, acoustic conditions, torpedo defense, sonar ID. You need to read the instruction manual to fully understand what is going on. Just the tactical display alone, if you look at it without any of that, will make no sense to you whatsoever. It will just look like some letters on a blue screen with a load of random stuff that you might recognize some things of. Rudder, steady, planes, level, depth, 190 feet. You'll recognize some of that, but it's not going to mean a whole lot. There's a whole series of keyboard commands that are associated with this as well. You'd need to learn this. You'd really need to learn it. So you play the game by... 
trying to navigate your submarine to a, a distance where you can effectively strike that vessel. Now, you've got a number of weapons at your disposal, and they all work in slightly different ways. You can launch a surface-to-ship missile, if you like, a Tomahawk missile, which but you need to be fairly near the surface to do that. And you don't need to be necessarily as close, but you've got to, you know, you've got to be moving fairly quick because you've got to get in. And if the ship sees you, they will launch a barrage of stuff at you and it will very quickly cause you problems. Um, mm-hmm. You can't launch anything from too far down. So the, the answer isn't to dive to the bottom of the ocean, which will, which will destroy your vessel anyway, or dive, dive too quickly because you will kill everybody on board because of the pressure and the ship will blow up. It's not like that. These are robust nuclear vessels and they're fast. They're one of the fastest things in the water. They'll outpace any cruise battleship or anything like that because they they actually sail quite close to the surface of the water. But in order to be tactical with them and to see what you're aiming at, you need to be near the surface or surfaced. And that means that you can neither then start to fire your torpedoes. Your torpedoes, depending on which area you've chosen, can be guided. So you can fire a torpedo. It's not like the old movies where you fire a torpedo and it's just got a, you know, it's just a motor at the back of a bomb that just fires through the water and hits something or blows up just near it. The common myth with torpedoes is that they were designed to hit the ship. That's not strictly true. They're designed to hit and cause a pressure wave explosion, which ruptures the side of the ship. And then the idea is that you would bomb um, and send sort of other things onto the try and bomb the ship as well. So a submarine is part of a strategic attack, mm-hmm. World War II style. Nuclear subs, very different kettle of fish. They can see things from 20, 30 kilometers away. So you're basically planning to strike the ships from a distance or at least try and strike them. And you can then choose your weapons with all the different options. Choose your launch, load your torpedo tubes, fire them, target things, all of the stuff you would expect to be able to do. But it, just, it takes time to learn how to do it. And you've got to navigate between the different views. You've got to understand the sonar view. Um, if you get too close, it's the minute, for example, that you fire your Tomahawk missiles, you give your position away, which is fatal. The one thing you want to be as a submarine is invisible because the minute you can be seen, you can be targeted. And the minute you can be targeted, you are you are in a very dangerous position, not just for the ships that might be attack, trying to attack you because they have much heavier armament than you, but also to all the submarines. You're immediately obvious where you are, so you have to be quick and be on the move mm-hmm. and remain as silent as you can be. That's the kind of purpose of this game. So that's how the game, my, my part of this game played out. I targeted, I found the ship that I was meant to be targeting, sailed pretty close to it because you can sail quite undetected as long as you're not doing anything stupid. And then I popped up, sank the ship and then shot off. Like you know, And that's the plan. So I managed to complete my mission. It took a bit of doing, but I, I persevered with it and I quite enjoyed my time doing it too. There's extensive controls in this and I didn't feel with the time I had to give to this that I... I, I could do with playing it a lot more for a lot longer to really get into it. But the part I played, I did like. Um, I think the sub-graphics and the graphics in the game, the displays, they don't give anything away. So you've really got to get into the spirit of this game quite a lot. The little mini animations of you firing and the submarine surfacing and all of those little news broadcasts that you get later if you play that bit. And some of those other things and the more complicated map views, there's a lot to take in. It's a whole lot to take in and take down. It's, a, it's an incredibly dense game, incredibly mm. dense. So I, I, you can't really write this game off as anything other than incredible at what it's doing. It, it is just genuinely, there's no other submarine simulator on the C64 that comes anywhere near it. It is just astonishingly good as one of those. It isn't much to look at, but that isn't the power here. And the power for this is in the details, the sense of drama that this game brings with all the other little cutscenes and that kind of way that pirates almost tried, but this kind of pulls it off. And the paranoia that it instills. This game feels paranoid. When you're playing the actual game, and you're trying to hide from submarines that are trying to find you or trying to, ships trying to ping you, and you're trying to stay out of their way. It's genuinely quite tense. 
especially when you're sailing quite near some of those ships. Mm-hmm. And because if they detect you, all hell breaks loose. The alarms go off and you start getting attacks. And then, you know, you, you, suddenly you're in very real danger of being sunk. And it's, it's quite terrifying. Um, and it does, it, you genuinely get that feel from this. It doesn't seem like it when you see the graphics and the rudimentary sort of nature of some of the displays. But trust me, when you're playing the game and you sat there in silence and you've got that weird little engine drone and sort of sounds that, that it gives you, doesn't give a lot away, but what it gives you is what you need to fill in the blanks. You do need to read and absorb the manual to step into the world of this game. And if you do that, you need time and patience. Absolutely you do. I needed more time. The patience I've got for something like this, the time I needed. This is not a game that's going to blow you away just by looking at it. You can't just step in and start shooting. It doesn't work that way. You're controlling one of the most devastating pieces of naval equipment in the world. And that demands you respect the parameters of the game. And if you buy into that, there's an amazingly rich experience waiting for you with this. I think parts of this were hard to capture because I was on an emulator as well. I had no keyboard overlay. The keys are wrongly mapped. I've got to press the function key on my keyboard and F to get them. And number, and it just some of it wasn't quite the same. Uh-huh. I imagine on a proper C64 on real hardware, with all of the paraphernalia and all of that, a disk drive, so you, know, you could play it in that way, I think it would be quite intense. I was able to sneak around the ocean. I sank a battleship with a well-placed tomahawk. And then, uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden I found myself quite getting quite nervous because there was a submarine. I knew there was a submarine nearby, but I could not find it. And it was genuinely doing my head in because <laughs> I knew it was out there somewhere because I saw it briefly on the radar. I think there's one out there. Where the hell is it? And it was quite good in that respect. And that's just the introductory levels. I mean, goodness me. No, mer- yeah. no vector graphics in this to ruin things. No overcomplicated displays, I didn't think. Generally, you're just on your wits. You've got a manual and give it some time and you'll be experiencing, I think, some truly incredible game design. And probably game design, really, for this sort of thing, this sort of strat- strategic simulation at its absolute finest on the C64 by the real masters of people that do that. So I think this is about as good a strategy sim as you're going to get on the C64 for this kind of thing, for naval battle simulations, things like that maybe better on real hardware i think this is an incredible game but you've got to like these kind of things right i like naval type games anyway mm-hmm. and more importantly you've got to give this the time you've got to give it that time if you do that i got a lot more out of this than i would out of any of their vector flight sim games but i'm not into them so i thought this was really really good 86 uh, percent. okay i'll go for that it's quite expensive isn't it um, for what it is. it quid, on yeah. tape as well i can't imagine it on tape but it did come out on tape yeah, 15 quid on tape, 20 on disc. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, those are quite heavy prices, but it's a very, very, very intense and very clever. And you get a lot for your money. A lot for so, your money, yeah. So I, I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. It surprised me how much I enjoyed it because I wasn't sure. You might not get the same out of it, but I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, probably not. It's another whopper of a sim. Another whopper from Micropros taking on Tom Clancy's speculative war fiction, Red Storm Rising. Um, and a lot of the book does actually deal with subs. Um, and so this is what the game focusing on. And there's no doubting the detail in this and the, and the speed at which it plays, which is good. It's fast. It's mm. fairly fast to play, which is always good for these things. What was that epics one? The Destroyer or whatever we're playing, where it's like had to load in every screen and it breaks. Oh, that came later, didn't it? Yeah. Right. No, we've, we've already played it. It was yeah, ages it wasn't, ago. It wasn't, dis- wasn't Destroyer, but it was the one no, that came after it was, Destroyer. It was one we played a while back and you have to yeah. load in every bloody screen. It was like, oh, oh, that was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So this doesn't do that. It's just all there. Once you're in, once you're into it, because it uses sort of simplified representational visuals, it works yep. in its favor and it's fast. And so that's good. And it generates, you know, real tension even just the training yes. missions. In that way, it reminded me of the uh, Kennedy approach. Um, in the way yeah, that I can Ken- totally see that. Yeah. In the way that Kennedy yeah. approach just used numbers 
but those numbers represented airplanes. And yes. so your mind filled in the blank because that's what a, a you know a, someone an air traffic controller yes. would see. Yes, it's that same it's that same thing that representational thing. Will you will do the rest rather yeah, than having absolutely. slow vectors and whatever. Just you know, this is a better way of doing it. The wealth of keys and detail in the you know hundred page plus manual is quite incredible. And, you know, if these 8-bit sims are your bag, then you're going to be diving for joy here, as this is quite something. I mean, it, it's not my bag. It's a bit impenetrable for me, And and but that's just me. I get it. Me and these games just don't get along. I just find myself just a bit lost in keys and buttons and displays and units and things, and I'm like, ah, there's too much for me to take on board. So, you know, but that doesn't mean I can't appreciate what's here. It is very good. Um, and it's Sid Meier's last game on the machine, isn't it? So I think sure he, is. I think he's his last one. It's quite the achievement, this, really, um, to transform something like Redstone Rising into one of the better, or probably the best sub sub games, and, and doing it in such a way as to be very, very clever and just stick the way that they've done this in... in because if... If you think about it, if you're in a submarine, you don't see the outside. It's not like they've got windows and ports on the world. It's all, mm. it's all, you know, ping screens of green and dots and numbers and distances, and then that's all you see, and and that's all you hear, and the sound effects, and you're like, oh crap. And like you said, I, I found myself being quiet playing this. Yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, there's certain things you're just like, oh god, I need to hear where the bloody hell is that damn thing. No, yeah, I enjoyed this for what it was. Not entirely my bag, but I did enjoy my time with it. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. There we go. That's Red Storm Rising. Red Storm Rising. Book's good, by the way. I haven't read it for a while, but I remember reading it. didn't read it. I read it not too long ago. I thought it's still pretty good. It's my probably my favourite Tom Clancy one. It's not a Jack Ryan book, for one thing. No, it's out of the Ryan books, isn't it? It's not, it is, yeah. not one of them. It's good. I quite enjoyed it. Don't know what it stands up like today. I might have a read. Anyway, there we go. Red Storm Rising. Let's move on. We've got more uh, naval battles coming up. Let's hope it's yeah. just as good. And this is, uh, yeah. So you remember Beachhead, don't you? You remember Beachhead? I remember Beachhead. Everyone yeah. does. Good good game, that, for 1984. Yeah, yeah. was. Especially the arcade section, where you had to shoot the incoming planes. Nicely done, that, for the time. That was really nice. Was. Was. Unlike yeah. this. This is not nicely done. This is Battle Stations from Addictive Games, and it's £2.99. This was made by Michael J. Lister, with music by Gary Antcliffe, and it's quite possibly one of the simplest games I've had to play in quite some time. It is a bit. So I'm not quite sure I've got a lot to say here. There's a lot of comedy front end. Yeah, it did have comedic overtones. Yeah, with a recognisable military tune playing. What was that tune? I'm sure I recognised it. Was it made up or I'm sure I recognised it Was it 1941, was it, the music of that? I don't know. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, it's that. And I was like, what's that? I went, oh, I don't know. I had this conversation with myself. But I couldn't recognise it. But I did recognise it, but I couldn't recognise it. And it says, you know, there's uh, some chunky text saying the names have been changed to protect the guilty and any resemblance to other games is accidental and so on and so on. It's that kind of thing. The story is, as far as I could make out, because I could not find, you know, sight or sound of this really on the on the internet, barely anything um, out there. There's no no one's selling this. So I couldn't find any images of the case or anything or the instructions, and there's naff all on uh, Moby Games and stuff. So anyway, the story is, as far as I can make out, that you are at war and you are a gunner on a battleship. Enemy planes are incoming and you need to shoot them from the skies. I don't know who you're at war or why this is happening, but that's it. Who cares, really, in the long run? It's a budget budget sort of gun shooter uh ship uh, uh, plane shooter pressing fire gets the game going you're greeted with a view of the world around you so this takes up the top half of the screen you can scroll this up and down so you can look up to the clouds and right down to the water and the landscape around you so you can also and also rotate your view 360 degrees and you'll move your view through the crosshair that you control and if you move it to the edge of the screen to push your view in that direction so you move a crosshair around if you move it to the edge of the screen it'll go up or down or left or right that's how you, you look around you you've got a ui at the bottom this shows a radar your score your ship and a klaxon and compass on the radar you'll see dots appearing 
you'll also see a little sort of thing moving around the radar as well and that gives you your where you're looking at so you because you know where you're looking at then so on the radar you'll see dots appearing usually from two sides which is you know you can only shoot one way but hey ho uh, and you must swing your view around to see the planes come in and then try and shoot them down before they can damage your ship and that's about it <laughs> that i could make out i don't know if there's any more to this it's maybe one of the shortest reviews we've done in some time there's so little to talk about here planes come you can't shoot them because they cross air, the crosshair moves too fast and within a minute <laughs> or two you'll be dead you get to put your name into an overly flashy high score table when you do manage to line one they'll blow up but they'll just take off they'll just shoot upwards and they'll shoot down and they'll come from two different ways but they'll come at both so you're just constantly taking damage i don't know what i was supposed to do the graphics are simple and very basic i mean the ship is okay at the bottom in the ui and when it's sort of bit in the sort of in the uh, intro sequence but the gameplay is it's just barely non-existent when we've just had you know <laughs> red storm rising which i know is at a completely different scale of thing and then we have this it's like two games about warfare at sea they could not be polar opposite i don't think you know and i didn't do this on purpose it's just it's the way this happened but they're just so one end of the spectrum to the other one you've got this massively deep incredibly detailed simulation of submarines and the other you've got to move a cursor around and that's it it's so dull and so empty and so repetitive in a couple of minutes you'll just have had enough for this and want to move on which is what i did i think three quid for this is a joke there's barely a game here it's like a it's it feels like a demo that somebody's given to someone and then they've released it and they've gone no 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 i've got to put the rest of the game in (laughs) tough it's already out because it feels like one very small section of a larger game, another game where you might have to sneak through caves and then sort of raid a beach and stuff like that and shoot with tanks and stuff. Mm, Beachhead, one might say, only not as good yeah. as that section in Beachhead in any way, shape or form. This was so flimsy that if you held it up to the sun, you'd be able to see through it. Mm. Pointless and empty. There's nothing to like here because there's nothing here. If you look at the cassette, it's see-through. It's just that you pull it out. It's like, what? what's on this? There's nothing there. Dreadful. Battle stations, pointless. Pointless and empty. What, did you find anything of any note in this? No, oh, um, the music, by the way, is called Anchors Away. It's the US Navy's anthem. Oh, that's the way. That's, that's that. Da, 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 that's it. That's it, yes. Yeah, I knew I knew it. Anchors I knew away. I recognised it. Nice music, I suppose. Presentation, tongue-in-cheek. All right. Gameplay, bit simple. Plays weird as well. The radar kind of gave you an idea of sort of where things might be. Not really. Crosshairs yeah. zipping around the screen. So you're just kind of looking for targets that you can momentarily shoot for a second before they bop, drop the bomb and disappear. Wave after wave of that. Not very varied, which means boredom sets in very quickly. It's only three quid, but it's three quid of very quick boredom. At least it's not buggy, I suppose, really. It's just not very exciting. It's a bit dull. Nothing to it, is there? It's it's empty of anything. Like you say, it's just, it's a void and therefore best avoided. Not very good. No, three quid's too much. 35%. Yeah, that's all you're getting. You've got 35% of the game. Where is the rest of it? I have no idea. I don't know how this got 35%. It's not worth that. This is as bad as Vectorball for me. This is a bit, it's barely a game. It's barely yeah, it's a barely, game. It, it, it functions, I suppose, but it's there's not much to it, is there? There's nothing there, really. No, it's an empty void. Yep. So let's leave it there in its emptiness and move on to our next one. Graham, <laughs> how did you find the heady delights of Super Cup football? 67%, there's two quid from the Racket Houston budget range. Yeah. Designed by John Connor. <laughs> and that made me laugh as well, yeah. I know. Yes, people have been looking for him for a long while, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And they find him in, of course, the Dark Fate, anyway. They do. So it's designed by John Connor, coded by John Connor, graphics of John Connor, a you John Connor, um, title screen, Sarah Connor, not really, Anthony Scott, that music is <laughs> Nigel Grieve and Kevin Grieve, the Greaves did the music. All the Greaves. Football, isn't it? Top-down football. Football clearly inspired, heavily inspired by the 1985 arcade 
Tekken World Cup, which is actually not the first top-down football shooter, but oh, probably right, okay. one of the first. So there's one that's before that, the 1983 arcade called Exciting Soccer from Alpha Denshi. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so those are both top-down soccer games. The Tekken World Cup is a lot more like Super Cup football, almost almost. Basically, I think that's what they've, they've used as the inspiration for it because it plays the same, looks kind of the same, and you even get the goal writing with the dots the same as it appears. Oh, right, okay. Where it's basically from. The Zap review for this was really odd and really off, I thought. They deride it in favour of something they've yet to see, for a start. So they go, oh, this is rubbish compared to Micropro Soccer, which is coming soon, that sort of thing. Right, which is yeah. Weird. You compare it to European Five-A-Side, which I get in terms of its view. But there's an entire section of the view which just feels like a crazy ramble from someone that didn't have anything ready to say. The first par- paragraph is essentially a load of gibberish. It's really off. I don't think it's fair that they did that for this. So anyway, it's my two pennies with that. Anyway, what, what there is here is, uh, yes, it's quite basic in some ways, but it's a, at least an accomplished attempt at a top-down view football game. Now, it's obviously the direction these football games are heading in at this point. Um, it's akin to that Microprose soccer type European five-a-side vibe. So it's got that kind of vibe. But they're nearly there with this as well. They're very nearly there. It's, it's just little bits that don't work, which is mm. the shame. Yeah, yeah. So so it, it plays out like those kind of games. So top-down view, players running, it's a football game. There's not a lot of brouhaha around it. It is that. You control your player, you can pass and shoot. It has a banana shot in it as well. It does. Just yeah. in. And it's, like I said, it's nearly there. It's very simple. It's way too easy. And it has none of the thrills of league play or anything like that. It doesn't have any of that. You can put your own team names in um, and you can play one or two player. But And you can have nine, I think, versions of teams in it as well. So because you can go between, I think it's nine, I think, at the bottom. So you can change the different teams. So you can have your, you can invent your own team. You can't control any of the players or do anything of that, but you can have a different team name. So, you know, yeah. Maybe- if you're wanting to do that sort of thing. So none of that is there yet. And you can change the T, the playing shirt colours as well. So th- for a game of this type, the sprites look like footballers. They run on, they've got arms. I mean, it's straight, strange animation, the way they sort of straight arm it, but they're there. <laughs> yeah. They kind of run a, bit, run a bit funny, but you can control them. It's pretty pacey. The view is fast. The ball kicking is actually about it's more it's better than it was in European so when you kick it upwards it goes up and then you're running and chasing the ball it does feel a little bit odd the way the ball sort of sticks to your feet and you dribble with it that's this like I said there's little things that aren't quite there yet with this but you can pick a type of game you can control a a few little parameters including the length of the game those are all nice things and when you score a goal you get a great big goal and notified of that and then everyone resets and it's back it's it's like a it's like a proto version of the games that are going to come that are going to be a lot better Mm-hmm. it's really strange now I didn't hate this at all in fact far from it I think this this is just one guy's vision and he's obviously taken on board some of the other things that are happening so I don't know if he's seen some of the other stuff and he's copied that I don't quite know what the genesis of this is other than that arcade that I've seen which is like it I think this is actually an important step that people probably overlook completely because it's just in the wrong space and time mm-hmm. I think this game is figuring out some of the problems of some of those other games and starting to put little pieces in play. And if that's the case, this is an iteration of that game design. And it's yes, it's not a great one to release. It works and the iteration isn't quite ready, but it is an important step in that iteration, in that evolution of these games. And in that respect, I think this game's important. More mm-hmm. important than I thought it would be and more important than I think it's ever given credit and Zap just write it off as some nonsense. I think this deserves a little bit of a, I think it deserves a, a little a position on the shelf of the great football games that lead up to 
sensible soccer. This one is definitely on the shelf in that line, in that historical yeah. timeline. It's in there. It ain't great, but it's doing some things right. And I had an enjoyable, fun game of football with it, albeit that it was a bit easy and some of the round the edges didn't quite work. So I thought it was pretty good for two quid this. But what did you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. So I thought slowly but surely we see the design of football games heading towards Sensi and kickoff in this budget top-down vertical scrolling kickabout. What game did you say was the first one? What was the 1983 one again? Sorry. Uh, it's called Exciting Soccer from Alpha Denshi. Oh, right. Okay. Um, as budget footy games go, this isn't too bad, I thought. There's a penchant for player sprites to disappear from on occasion. So there's some technical, little technical glitches. But I thought this had a lot more going for it than that European five-a-side thing we played the other week. You can slide tackle, hoof it a great distance. You can actually hoof it in this one. So that's always good. So you can properly hoof it when you, you know, you control your goalkeeper when you, when they get in your, get in your area, all that kind of stuff. You can even, as you said, you can even do banana kicks as well. And that's maybe, I don't know whether it's the first time I've seen that. I don't remember seeing it much else. There's plenty of options, nine skill levels for the computer as well. So plenty to keep you going. It's a bit flicky, rough around the edges, but for two quid, yeah, this is entertaining enough in either one or two players. I think you'd have a bit of a laugh with this playing this. But I think so. It's certainly, yeah, re- that zap review, That it's just, it, uh, they do it a disservice, I think. But obviously, I don't think they know what they've got in their hands. It's one of those things. But it, this is what I was on about at the beginning in this sort of cult of personality where we'll just write some old nonsense. And, yeah, and yeah. the editor's stopping in about, oh, you need to stop doing that. But it's like, just write reviews. Save you, you've got your personal space to do your own personal bit. Write a bloody review properly. Um, it kind of annoys me a bit. Um, and they do it a fair few times. But I, I thought this was all right. I had a few good games of footy in it. It's a bit all over the place at times, but it's a full-size pitch, lots of players. You can knock it about. You can create some moves. It's fine. And it, it runs pretty smoothly, just about from every now and again, Sprite would disappear. But on the whole, yeah, certainly um, certainly Absolutely. a step along the uh, evolutionary scale and certainly deserves to be up there. And it's the only game the guy made, as far as I could see. Yeah, I found that. I couldn't find anything else. So, so he just came strange. along, maybe disappeared, you know, maybe the Terminator from got Houston through. as well. Not a place you would expect that game to come from either. No, no, not the slightest. But yeah, in, yeah, interesting, fun little kickabout. I, I enjoyed it. It's fun. Good for two quid anyway. Certainly good. Yeah. There we go. That's Super Cup football. We like that. What one more left? Let's uh, let's mosey along to that. And this is Fox with two X's fights back. Fox mm. fights back. This is nine pound ninety nine. It's got a seventy nine percent. Denton Design is back in Fox form with a double X. Fox Fights Back, made by Dent Design. It's got code by Dave Colclough and music by Fred Gray, and it's published by Image Works who we last saw surprising us with Fernandez Must Die. We did. So according to the box, this fox is lean and mean and ready for action and won't take no for an answer. Too many times the hounds have tried to put him down, but he'll force the hell's beagles back to the briars as you blast your way through the bullets and bombs as all of the forces of nature are out to get you. Sounds um, interesting. So what does all that mean? Mm. Anyway, you and your fox mate are starving, so you've been sent out to scour the land for food and bring it back to the family home. That's kind of it. There's not much in the way of options from the title screen between playing with sound uh, music or sound effects. Uh, the music by Fred Gray, again, another. I felt I should know it, but I couldn't recognize it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I recognize this. What is it? But just, it was, on, but I, you know, it's gone. Probably you know it, but you so you can say. Anyway, it's a bit twee and it started to grate after a while. When the game starts, what we have is a bi directional horizontal scroller that sees your fox running left and right along the landscape trying to find food to bring it back to the homestead. Controls are a little tricky, um, as left and right make you run, and fire makes you shoot your weapon. You start with a pistol, so you have to press up and fire at exactly the same time to jump can prove 
bothersome. But quite often, I would just stand there and shoot. And once you're in the shooting animation, you kind of have to stop and wait to try again. Otherwise, you just keep shooting. Along the landscape, various enemies are trying to kill you. Squirrels drop bombs from trees. Beagles roam around shooting at you um, and chasing you on bikes. Birds fly past and drop bombs on you too. At the bottom of the screen, the UI shows your fox with his tummy hanging out. The more it's hanging out, the more energy you've lost. And when it's fully out, you lose a life. And I take them back to the last checkpoint you went through. This includes a scroll across the landscape all the way back to where you were. So it's a bit tiresome. You can regain health, though, in a couple of ways. At times, you run through chicken coops. And if you jump through to jump through the chickens, you get health back. So you only have a limited amount in the level. So you've got to sort of weigh up whether you need them or not. There are also underground burrows that you go through that contain shortcuts and bunnies. And running through them, the bunnies, that is, will give health back as well, same as the chickens. The shortcuts remain open once you have been through them, and they are useful for condensing the landscape that you have to traverse, as you can only carry four pieces of food at once before having to head back home and dropping it off before heading back out again. There's a bit of stereotypical woman at home nagging you when you do drop stuff off. It's like, get back out there, get more food. And I think it's just a fox stood there with a rolling pin, I think. It's a bit, um, back, you know, women stay in the kitchen kind of thing type uh, imagery, really. You can find better weapons as you go as well, with a shotgun to be found and there's a machine gun as well there is a uh, there's four weapons but i only found three uh the machine gun and when you get the machine gun you can actually walk and shoot uh you, all the other weapons can only be fired from a stationary position uh, but then the controls get even odder as you've now got to pull down and directional to run i don't know it just it's 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 not well thought of the controls in this i don't think the visuals on this are pretty good they reminded me of a more chunky version of on the tiles crossed with that fox part from vixen so there's somewhere in that middle. It's a fox, so it looks yeah, like a bit yeah. from Vixen. It's not quite as high res though. But if you yeah, if you medium res on the tiles, you kind of get this, I think. But and you put it in a and you put it in a sort of uh, rural landscape. It's that it's, it's close between those two. The music's annoying, as I said. The controls are annoying after a while as well. Um, as is navigating the landscape, which sees you needing to jump onto walls to progress, but it never really feels intuitive. You have got to jump as well to catch the animal uh, to get to the apples, but you only do one big long jump, so you have to be at the right point because you've got to be at the top of your arc to hit the apple. So if you if you're off slightly, and so when you are doing these bits, you're usually getting shot by beagles that are traveling about and trying to shoot you and hit you in contact with any of them loses the health and you quickly find yourself dying uh yeah so you've got to having to head back to the start all the time with the stuff you've collected quickly makes this into more of a chore than it needs to be even find the shortcuts it's just especially as you progress because the food gets further and further away so you like doing these sort of shuttle runs you go to the forest you come back you go out to the next bit you come back you go out to the next bit you come back and it's kind of like that so it feels like just an endless shuttle run um into oblivion that i that's what i found this after collecting apples you're collecting pork pies and like from the local pub and 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 there was kind of in the sort of visuals and what you doing and the way things are beetle about and do stuff so it's kind of an odd british sense of humor to the game that's sort of prevalent throughout it i thought but it's not amazingly funny but it's kind of light-hearted and they've got that sort of weird thing. i mean the, the cover has this fox like shooting um, a huntsman and so there's this notion of you know this this fox has been sort of hunted through the fields and stuff getting their own back and it's it's quite it's quite british and quirky and a bit odd and a bit out of you know it's a bit off the wall and a little bit different but it never really seemed to go anywhere that i could know i could see you just sent out time and time again to collect food. And the way the game plays never really changes as far as I could make out. So I never got to do anything different. I don't know whether there's different levels. I don't know there's different stuff to do. I just found it all quite monotonous. And after 10 to 15 minutes of running about the landscape and doing the same thing over and over, I was just bored. There just seems to be no real progression to it. And that Rob, apart from finding a machine gun, just robs it of any purpose or takes away any desire you might have had to see what comes next. 
So this started off fun for a few minutes, but then got tiresome quite quickly and not much more to it. If there was some more variety in the the design, if you went to different places, if you moved around, if there were different things to go through, it kind of felt uh, Mission AD is another one I would kind of sort of say is in the similar sort of ballpark where there's a lot of running to and fro, but Mission AD had the different locales and an, an overarching goal of shooting everyone. So there was that difference in there. This just feels like a never-ending... It's the worst thing you do at school. Shuttle runs were always a bloody nightmare. Run to the first beanbag, then back. Run to the second beanbag, then back. Third, but it's, they were always awful. I hated them. You're always absolutely knackered by doing them. And this is just another one of those. So it kind of got a bit boring after a while. And I didn't... I don't know. I thought 70-odd percent. They were really raving about this saying It was really good fun and loads of it. And I reckon they just played it for 10 minutes because 80% or 79% is too high for this. This is painfully average. This is in the 50s for me. But that's just me. What did you think? Yeah, I have to agree with you. Nice to look at, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. But a bit boring, eventually. Um, yeah. Once you get over the initial sort of fun of it, you can't, I don't. why is it Fox fights back? Because I noticed in the screenshot in Zap, it says FOX in the left-hand corner, just with one X. It does, know. yeah, it does. I don't know what it's all about. No, I don't. Anyway, um, so I thought it's, it was a fun game while it lasted. The fun lasted. So that and, and it, it, I think it just lacked the variety needed. Star Wars, which is the next best game I can sort of. Compare, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, had different mixtures of levels, so it never got. It, you never experienced that sort of monotonous running about on one level. That was and that was a key part of Star Wars. But you did have the other bits where you were. Sort of, you know, throw, throwing things into the screen and stuff, aren't you? And there's the or going of underground and stuff. And stuff. I mean, it is got underground bits, but not it's just. It just, I think it's just missing some of that. That's all. It's just missing those bits. So, because I felt, you know, once I shot enough beagles and I was running backwards and forwards, I felt it started to get a bit like grindy and a bit bindy to go backwards and forwards. Yeah. And the novelty of the, uh, the cartoon aesthetic kind of started to wear off a bit. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel like I was just doing the same thing a lot. And I thought, what a shame. Um, the music, by the way, is Bizet's Carmen, in case you're wondering what it is. That's Carmen, yeah, from Bizet. So it's these nice touches. The production part, Okay, and the graphics are nice, and the animations, and all of that is all great. And it looks good on the little CRT variations of it that's look, that I'd looked at as well. So yeah, yeah. on a old-fashioned monitor, it did look quite pretty as a game, but it's only going to get you so far if unless you make the game have enough variety, and you get you get away with it for a while with the humour, and you'll get away with it for a while with the graphics, and you'll you, you, that'll carry you so far. But at some point, the game's got to have something else. Or you're going to get bored doing the same thing. There's no way around that. I mean, mm. look, even um, that crappy uh, vixen that we played, that was one of the problems that I had. You know, it had enough good animation and some of that stuff in it that we liked, or that, well, that was okay. But the, the game didn't vary enough. It was boring, the same thing. And then you end up scooting like a dog part of it, or scooting like a fox, I guess, in that mm-hmm. or vixen yeah. or whatever. This just this just has it's almost there. It's such a shame. I mean, it's, this thing's it, you know it's that lively presentation style. I like that about it. It reminded me of Star Wars and also the Roadrunner and things like that. It has yeah. that cartoony ilk, and I like the theme. I like the tonality of it. It reminded me of Ro- a Roald Dahl kind of idea as well. In a lot of Roald Dahl stories, the animal the animals turn on the humans. So I think Fantastic Mr. Fox thing. You know, the, what, there was the one with where the ducks become human sized and the humans become duck sized and in the ducks come out of their house with giant shotguns and stuff and it's all kind of weird but that often happens you know think of the think of the witches where they get turned into little mice and things like that Rob yeah. Dahl's often doing that so this had a vibe of that about it you know the animals getting revenge and, and and the stuff like that and I quite like that but it's just just needed the game design to match the cartoon yeah. elements and the variety and it didn't such a shame really so I liked what I played but I was starting to get like is this going to change? I got bored of going, getting only a few things, going back and then going out and going back. And I was like, oh, 
what a shame that they made it that. Could it just needed some levels. Just say like, oh, you 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 you've fed enough. Now we've moved to a different thing, and there's different you know different. I like bits the, I like some and... of the humor. I like the fact that the little beagles arrived on little bikes and things. I like stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, oh, that's great. It's just not enough of it, you know, sad. Uh, so I liked the bit I played and I liked and it's pretty and it's quite self-explanatory. You didn't need a hundred page manual for this one, did you? No, you didn't. But it, what it needed was somebody to go, right, what are we going to do next? What's the fox going to do next? What levels can we add to this? What complexity can we add? How can we make it? Because you could have had humor into those as well. You could have made it funny. Yeah. You know, there could have been a bit where you, you know, you're, you're in a hen house or something chasing hens around. It doesn't have to be gory and violent, but it, you know, you could just do funny things. It doesn't do that though, does it? So you sort of, it feels like it got, they got so far and then just stopped with the development of that. We've seen that with quite a few Denton design stuff. Mm, yes. Like they have a yes. good idea and they have a good central sort of core thing. And then there's never enough behind it to fully yeah. back it up. Yeah. I, I like this, you know, the, the sound of the game, the sound isn't, no one's going to, you know, be putting this Fred Gray soundtrack on the top 10 SIDS list of all time, but it's perfect for this game. It yeah. really helps. You know, when you're running along and you're bounding along and jumping, but the controls get really weird as well. Exactly as you've described, they start to get more difficult. I'm like, just keep to a simple, you know, just make make it easy. Jump is fire button, I guess, and make the directions nice and simple. And just, you know, it's not hard to do things like that. It's, it all goes to pot. So Fox fights back. It's going to be good for the first 20 minutes. And then you're going to start to feel the rot setting in. Which is yeah. a shame, isn't it? Which I is agree with their scoring. I don't like their review, but I well, actually, I do agree with their scoring. I don't like the review they did of it because I think they they just like exactly as you described. They've gone, oh look, Fox fights back. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think they've actually really played it for very long at all. So. No, I don't think it deserves seventy nine percent. Not really. No, I, no, I know. I think for graphics, may the sound maybe give it a boost, but sixties, fifties to sixties tops, really. Yeah, it's an it's an average game. Yeah, yeah shame with it, but it is. It is what it is. There we go. That's it. That's it for this week. Um, what have we looked at? We looked at Armor Light, which is stunning. <laughs> no two ways it around it. Really good. Yeah. We looked at Vectorball, which is the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. That's a crap. That's a crap. Four by four off road racing, which is it's a misfire. It's a it's a it's it's a journey down the brown alley. <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> Absolutely not with not with no. You definitely want that. Uh, intensity was our next one, which was a yep. complex, complex, surprisingly complex thing. But um, yeah, Red Storm Rising, which was an unsurprisingly complex thing. Complex thing, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then Battle Stations, which was an, a surprisingly vacuous <laughs> completely, thing. <laughs> completely not complex. So kind of that's kind of funny. Intensity complicated. Red Storm even more complicated. Battle Stations. Well, it's not much there. <laughs> <laughs> so so little there. Battle Stations is like the uh, Milky Way of games you barely it notice is. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can play it between meals and not ruin your appetite <laughs> you can play it between other games and not even notice you played it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true that's what so it is true. uh super cup football an evolutionary yes. important evolutionary step i we think yes i think a step on the ladder that was has been overlooked yeah i think so and finally the slightly vacuous and bit dull and repetitive pretty, pretty but repetitive fox fights back there we go that's it um, that's the first half of November covered. We've only got five more episodes left of 1988. 
We started it way back in episode 72, I think it was. It is, yeah. It's been an epic year, this one. Massive amount of coverage this year. Loads of games, but uh, we've still got plenty to go. Next week, what we've got coming up, we've got Cybernoid 2, the other big uh, cover game, I guess. Pink Panther, Soldier of Fortune. More soccer from Epic, street sports soccer. We like the uh, baseball one, so hopefully that one will be okay. More Mm. soccer with Emily Hughes' international football. It's football mad. Football mad at the moment, isn't it? Football crazy. Football mad. Barbarian. Mission Genocide. Oh god, Barbarians! Is. The uh, the it's the sixteen bit game made eight bit flesh, isn't it? Oh god, help us all! It's mouse controlled on the bloody Atari ST. That you programmed it. We came. <laughs> so I just no, it, it's mouse controlled. I remember it on the Atari ST, and I remember playing it, and it's mouse controlled. It's got like a, it's got icons on. It, I'm sure of it. And that's going to be bad with a joystick. It ain't going to be fun, is it? No, it's not. It's not going to be good. Uh, Mission Genocide. Okay. Another budget. uh, And finally, uh, another Cinemaware game with Sinbad and the Throne of the Falcon, I think it is. Do you know, I've never played that. No, I haven't either. Again, quite looking forward to that. Yeah, it could be quite interesting. Got 80%, so we'll see how that turns out. Mm. So, yes, that's all coming next week, along with film and TV. uh, What was going on? There's loads of films released next week. Loads of films. Loads and loads and loads of films. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, lots. (laughs) Not all of them good. In fact, a lot of them I've never heard of, but um, there's one big one in there that I think is quite interesting to talk about. There is. That'll yeah. be all right. Yeah, so that's it. If you wish to support the podcast, you can do that in a financial sense, obviously, by heading off to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. And for either a pound, which you know helps us keep going, or the price for a pint of beer to get the full fat experience, ad-free episodes early, access to the Discord. You can come chat with everyone on there, uh, ask us questions, join in our special events and stuff when we do all them that's cost you £4.50 or whatever that is in your local local region that would be great so that's patreon.com forward slash sap to the past if you don't want to do that you know rate reviewers do whatever it is that the people say because it's all it's all good it all helps and that's about it it's been a long episode another big episode a lot to get through here and we're still sort of plowing through it as I said five more episodes left of 1988 then we are into the Breadbin Awards interesting to see what we get what we what awards we come up with if there's anything decent because there has been some utter dreadful apocalypses this year and it's going to be tough to pick yes. out the dredge uh, but we'll how s- we're going to do it my gosh <laughs> we, I'm gonna, i think i'm going to, have to put some rubber gloves on because i think i'm yeah. going to get covered in shit otherwise <laughs> that's nobody wants that <laughs> Nobody anyway. wants that. If I've got to go, I've no. got to go swimming, pulling, wading through the turds of Lee Enfield and Bob Winner and crap like that, vector ball <laughs> and gaff like that. It's oh just, God! You know, no. no, there's some bad shit. Oh, there we go. Anyway, that's about it. I don't think I've got anything more to add. Is there anything you want to add, or should we sign off and let the people go? I think we need to sign off and let these people go. Okay then. Well, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills, and I have been Graham Raddings, and you have been listening to the very complex uh, Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. 
We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.